Allow me to propose a toast. Here's to Snow Peak's first visitors. Many happy returns. Pardon me for saying this, but you all look prepared for a funeral or worse. I feel like I could kill them. What a bunch of jerks. No kindness whatsoever. Eddie's my soon-to-be ex-boyfriend, and Jeff's just dead! Hi, this is Adrian King, Alice from Friday the 13th, and the hysteria continues. And indeed it does. Welcome back to The Hysteria Continues, episode 179. And this time uh, we're off to the snowy wastes for a little bit of, um, well, a little bit of skin contact, um, a little bit of whiskey sitting by the fire and getting an icicles in our eyes. So, yes, we are covering the late 80s slasher Iced. Uh, which we're very excited to be talking about, and even more excited uh, to uh, to be joined by one of our favourite ever guests, Amanda Reyes uh, from over in Texas. How are you doing, Amanda? I bet it's very, very early for you, isn't it? It is. It's five a.m. Yeah, and um, what? Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. You know, I'm normally up at this time because I have insomnia. But last night, I was actually—I think I was sleeping. And so it was kind of a shock when Duran Duran came on the radio, just by chance, at 4 a.m. to wake me up. What a way to wake up. I know, that's dedication for you, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. I get to sit here and hang out with my favorite people. I was going to say not to stare at my chest, but I didn't know if anybody would get the reference from Mm. Ice. And then I thought I wanted Justin to stare at my chest. (laughs) Well, I, I shall get a picture up later and we'll see. We'll see what <laughs> okay. happens, if anything occurs. I'm sending some right now. <laughs> okay. Check your phone. Have you got a nice wardrobe as well? I, <laughs> do I have a nice wardrobe? I do. Matter of fact, I have different outfit on, different outfits on when I start on the first floor and then I get to the second floor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, sorry, that's just a bad uh, furniture joke. But I'll save the jokes for Eric later because apparently Eric has told us that he has the best joke he's ever written. I think it is. Um, so is it going to be like, because we were talking about Edinburgh earlier and when Amanda was in uh, Edinburgh last year, uh, and they have the Edinburgh Fringe Comedy Festival, don't they? And then they, they vote for the best joke of the year there. So, Eric, do you think you might enter this year? I think I will. I think, but I'm, I'm aiming even higher. I think I should end up in the Leisureman show, um, maybe at the end of the month. Okay, well, well, let's let's see Wait, what happens. David Letterman, because he's not on TV anymore. Oh, well, I guess okay. he might be on. Netflix. Well, then maybe not. <laughs> he's got a Netflix talk show out now, though. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, bigger than, I'm bigger than Netflix. Maybe you could go on Terry Wogan or something on Wogan. <laughs> oh, ha ha, Justin. <laughs> Sorry, if people don't know, he's he's dead. Um, so, uh, but anyway, probably like Eric's comedy career. Maybe, um, hey, maybe he can go on the Jan Terry show. <laughs> I love that. I don't want to lose you tonight. That would be that would be fantastic. But how are you You're doing, the Eric? Only anyway, thing that matters. I love that song. I'm doing great now uh, because we've mentioned Duran Duran and Jan Terry, which are two of my favorite things. I got a Duran Duran jigsaw for Christmas. Really? Yeah, it's oh, a that's... montage of of Duran Duran from different eras. 
So I'm looking forward to doing that and listening to a Duran Duran album at the same time. Wow. Okay. Oh very God, 80s. I'm totally coming to Ireland for that. <laughs> yeah, totally do. Well, this is a very 80s show. So, um, yeah, something to look forward to. And uh, Joseph, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing quite well. And I should also mention this is our eighth birthday episode. Yes. Oh. Happy birthday to us. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah, I forgot it was our eighth birthday. How could I forget? Nathan, did you forget? No. Did you get me a present? And I picked iced. You did. And I want to say in advance, you're all welcome. Well, it remains to be seen whether or not that was a, uh, a good birthday present or one that we we're going to keep the receipt for just to keep them all guessing. But how are you doing anyway, Nathan? Are you okay? Yeah, um, I am Okay. Good. Okay. Well, fantastic. I'm good. Apart from I do have um, a correction to make, um, an apology to make after last show, because uh, the film I mentioned, Punch Punch My Chocolate Starfish, was not actually called that. Um, It was Oh No, Not My Wrinkly Starfish. So I'd like to apologize to the cast and crew of that film and any embarrassment I may have caused by uh, um, uh, getting the title wrong. And so, just in case you're wondering, um, we have spent hours behind the scenes discussing this. Yes. yes. And if you missed the last show, it was just on our on our TV service box. Um, uh, we have all sorts of films. We don't we don't pay any extra for the triple X. In fact, I haven't watched it, but it, we get it as part of the package, as it were. And uh, one of the um, films that popped up was uh, Oh No, Not My Wrinkly Starfish, amongst all the, the recent films and TV shows that are <laughs> right. added to it. Was that the translated title? I don't Well, I haven't looked. I haven't actually watched any, any of it. I couldn't bring myself to, um, to uh, go there. So, but I, I How said it was... How do you know mm. all that Triple X is free if you haven't watched it? But it's yeah. part of our service. Oh, well done, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the new Jessica Fletcher here. You are enjoying probing my private life. Um, well, hey. to be honest, I know I haven't haven't checked it out, but I know it's part of the. Uh, it comes it comes up of all the other things like Call the Midwife and Antiques Roadshow. So anyway, with that out of the way, uh, although I do stand by my story about um, Sandra Bullock's uh, penis facials because I did look that up. And if you don't know what that was about, her, her, her you have to... name is Bullock. Look exactly, exactly. That's pretty so, close, right? yes. Um, so, anyway, without further ado, well, let's talk about what we've been watching recently. And Amanda, as you're our guest of honor at our birthday party out in our chalet in the behind the house in the woods, um, and we'll be bringing out the birthday cake and some pantyhose a little bit later. But uh, have you been watching anything of note? Yeah, um, you know, I, ha- I haven't watched that much horror in the last couple weeks, but I did watch a, a couple things that I think might qualify. So Amazon Prime has got like a treasure trove of things hidden inside it, and you have to really search to find stuff. But I've been looking for um, TV movies, and they actually have a pretty good selection. A lot of it's newish, and when I say newish, I mean the 90s, which is new to me. And so I've been kind of like deep diving into some of their movies. And there's two that I think are really interesting, so I just wanted to mention them. Um, one is called Lady Killer, um, which stars Judith Light, Queen Judith Light, and Jack Wagner from Melrose Place and General Hospital. And she is this woman who um, is in this kind of, it's not really a dead-end marriage, but like um, maybe she's not very happy. Her husband travels a lot, and she meets this really handsome doctor played by Jack Wagner, and um, they have an affair But then she breaks it off with him, kind of feeling guilty about it. And so what he does is he basically rapes her and then starts dating her daughter. 
which is what you do, I guess, when you break up in a relationship. And so then the second half of the film is basically her trying to figure out how to not tell her husband what's happened and get her daughter away from him. And it's really good. It's got kind of a standard thriller ending, but there's a really great showdown. And I don't mean the climax of the film um, with them fighting, but there's a showdown between Jack Wagner and Judith Light in this house, this vacation home, where they're just going back and forth dialogue-wise, and it's brilliant. They're just two really good actors. And um, if you like those kind of like 90s domestic thrillers, I think it's really good. Um, Probably one of the better ones I've seen from the 90s. And then I saw another one with a really generic title called Fear Stock, which stars Judith Clayburgh as a soap opera producer, uh, much like Suzanne Plachette in Fantasies. Uh, it's kind of interesting. And she gets her purse rifled through, but not stolen. And the things that are missing are like, you know, her credit cards and her driver's license and her keys. And then she starts getting these really strange phone calls. So they actually start with her son. He gets this call that she's been in this car accident. She's dying. And he calls her. And then this guy starts basically taking over her life. And it's all about her trying to maintain her independence while this guy is basically like coming into her house at night and stuff. And it's really amazing. And Jill Clayburgh is awesome in it. And it also has Andrew Devoff from The Wishmaster. Um, and Lorna Luft from Greece too, if you're interested. And that was really good. I was really surprised because it has such a generic title to it. And I just sort of randomly decided to watch it because Jill Clayburgh was in it. And if anybody here is familiar with Jill Clayburgh, um, I guess she's most famous for her independent films in the 70s, like An Unmarried Woman. But she did a lot of really great TV movie stuff. Um, and then um, my podcasting partner for my podcast show that I do with Nate called The Made for TV Mayhem Show. His name's Dan Budnick. Um, he gifted me for Christmas uh, the new Blu-ray of The Unnameable, which came out through Unearthed. And I don't know if anybody here has seen The Unnameable, but it's um, one of my all-time favorite horror movies. I actually wrote about it for Justin a couple years ago. And so um, it hadn't really had much of a release except on VHS and was really hard to get till recently. And the Unearthed DVD, I think, is a little controversial. It has some problems with it. Um, so I will say I think it's worth the purchase because it's a great film and it's probably the best you're going to see it. But they like the end of the film, the music starts and it's like, they've done something with the music. So they've actually looped it. So it repeats over itself. And I don't know how else to explain it, but there's something wrong with the sound and the extras are really good except like they got all of the cast together, but like they did it via Skype so, like, all the interviews are done with Skype, and so, like, the sound quality isn't great, and the lighting's really off on some of the actors. But um, it's a great movie, and if you haven't seen it, it's basically like a supernatural slasher with, like, a monster in this house, and these people just I resent of, that, by the way. Resent well, what? Yeah. Skype, Skype issue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, I mean, they're video. You know what I mean? They're on video, and, like, um, I don't know. I just... I mean, it's great that they did it, and I love seeing all the actors. I'm, I feel really close to this film, so it was really amazing to see all these people and everything. But it's also like, God, they couldn't, like, I don't know. I just feel like there were ways they could have made it maybe a little better. And I hate to say that because I know it's hard. I've never put a DVD out or a Blu-ray, but um, but I'm glad it's out. But anyway, yeah, it's just a supernatural slasher that takes place in this house, and it's a monster movie. And if you're really into beautiful looking crazy monsters and people getting their heads ripped off, I think it's a really, really good film. And so those are the movies I've seen that I think qualify for what you guys uh, would be interested in. Maybe not the Amanda, first two, but yeah. Amanda, could you send me the info for those, um, those, those TV movies? Uh, 
those domestic thrillers, because I really love films like that from the late 80s and early 90s. I'd like to see some of those. Yeah, they have a lot of them on Amazon Prime. I'll send you those, too. I think they're, they're the best that I've seen so far. I've seen Lady Killer. Yeah, did you like it? Yeah, I did a lot. I, but it's been a very long time. And for some reason, I don't know why, the main thing I remember is this scene where uh, Jack Wagner tells Judith Light something like, hey, you're a much better lover than your daughter. And then she slaps the crap out of him. She does. Yeah, there's this just amazing <laughs> showdown between the two of them. It's so good. It's so good. And I love Jack Wagner anyway, but like – I hadn't – he's a really good actor. I think he's underrated. It's just I see him, and I just want to jump on my TV and hump it. So I kind of forget that he can really act. But he's so good in this, and Judith, I think Judith Light elevates him, you know? Is yes. he the guy from Amityville 2, Jack Wagner? No, no, no. He's on Melrose Place. He plays Dr. Peter Burns. Oh, right. Okay. I'm and he me. was Frisco Jones on General Hospital, which is where he was uh, found fame and fortune. And he sings that song, um, All That I – oh, my God. What's the name of it? All That I Need. Do you remember that from the 80s? I don't know. All right. Well, I'm I'm disappointed. Sorry. Is that, um, is that all I need? Is that that one? Yeah, just a little more time. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, that's Jack Wagner. Oh, I did not know that. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> and that's it. So. Excellent. Oh, well, thank you, Amanda. Have you seen uh, Unnameable 2? I have, and I love it. I love hmm. it. It's it's totally different in tone in a way. Well, I guess it's not. They're both kind of funny in their own way, but the humor is a little more broad in the second one. But it's really good. And um, Julie Strain, um, as you may know if you follow her, is actually having a really rough time. But she plays the monster in it. She's the woman in the costume. Hmm. And uh, she's Amazonian, and she's just beautiful. The woman in the first film that plays the monster was a professional dancer, so she's really graceful. In the second one, she's just really like this beautiful, big thing that you can't take your eyes off of. Well, talking of uh, beautiful, big things you can't take your eyes off. Um, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't. That was too good. It's too good to uh, miss, but opportunity to miss. Um, but no, I, I haven't seen The Unable for ages. I remember I rented it back on the VHS days way, way back in the probably late 80s or early 90s. So it's one I'm looking forward to catching up with. And there's a lot of good things coming out. I'm very excited that Superstition is coming out uh, from Shout Factory or Scream Factory. Uh, so hopefully that will get a decent UK release by somebody at the moment uh, or somebody coming up soon, hopefully. Um, but uh, yeah, it's great to see these uh, all coming out on uh, on Blu-ray. So uh, thank you, Amanda. Um, and sure. I look forward to your thoughts on the, the main feature coming up. Um, Eric, how about you? Have you watched anything? Okay, well, the, I watched one and a half things this week, apart from uh, our feature presentation. Uh, I watched Bandersnatch, the, uh, the Black Mirror episode, on your guys' recommendation. Uh, and just to recap, it's it's uh, a story about uh, some computer, computer game programmers in 1984 and the writing software for 8-bit computers. And that's kind of, um, that setup really drew me in because I think the period detail for 1984 is really well captured and it has a great... Um, early 80s atmosphere and all those well, seeing all those computer games was great and, and the music uh, and as I said it's structured like a choose your own adventure book and I suppose the thing that really was um, uh, that really recommended it for me was when Joseph said last week that one of the early choices you're asked to make in the film is when the main character is on the bus and you have to choose between if he decides to listen to Into the Gap by the Thompson Twins on his Walkman or now that's what I call music volume 2 
Um, so all that 80s stuff was totally up my alley, as Nathan would say. Um, and the film's quite trippy as well. It's kind of a mind-bending sci-fi thriller. Um, I'm not sure how it would work without the gimmick, if it would be as engaging. Uh, it's the gimmick that really sold it for me. And I ended up watching about maybe 10 or 11 different endings, because um, once you hit an ending, you can you can go back to a previous um, um path or you know fork in the narrative to choose an, sort of an alternate um route if you want so um there was one but i don't know if any of you guys have watched it hit the point where you could actually and this is a possible it's not really a spoiler because it's not an ending but you can there's a point in the narrative where you can actually tell the character that you're watching them in the future on a service called netflix and that you're dictating what they do which i thought was yeah, really I- I got hmm. to that ending. Um, there's a couple I, endings I read about that I have I, I, I have not found. I, I just don't know how to get there. But um, Eric, I wanted to ask you. I'm going to try not to spoil this. Uh, did you get to the scene where it's after the the character makes the choice to take LSD, and let's just say he sees something? Um, I, I'm trying to think. Did I I I, I saw him take LSD. Yeah, there's just there's one moment. Uh, it may be another choice after that, but there's one moment where he sees something, and it's just it's really startling. Um, if you find it, you'll know. Okay, I probably didn't see it then. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but I ended like it, it's listed on IMDb as being a 90 minute movie, and I sort of set myself 90 minutes to watch it, and I ended up I think watching it for about two and a half hours, if not three. Um, but yeah, I found it really engaging. But as I said, I think it's the I, I'm a sucker for gimmicks like this. I'm a real sort of William Castle type gimmick aficionado. Um, so if it, if you strip away the gimmick and it just been a straight ahead 90 minute movie, would I have liked it? Uh, yeah, because of the the 80s nostalgia vibe to it. Yeah, but uh, the gimmick really sold it for me, and I I highly recommend it. Thank awesome. you for the heads up, guys. Brilliant. Have yeah, you, it's, uh, I really really enjoyed it a lot. Have you caught it yet, uh, Amanda? No, I haven't. Uh, um, it sounds amazing. The '80s part has me salivating. Yes, it's, it's very. Yeah. <laughs> There's some. Of Kajagugu. <laughs> it, they mentioned Kajagugu. They mentioned Kajagugu, and, and Too Shy gets played on the soundtrack at one stage. Uh, and also, but they also mention. But Eric, you're leaving out the part that uh, the um, uh, they tell him not to listen to um, childish music, music like that, and listen to things like Bauhaus. I didn't see that bit, I don't think. Did you not? When he sent him to the record shop and said he had to choose a record. And then he had a list of good music. Bauhaus and um, what was the other one? Bauhaus and... I chose Tangerine Dream on that. Yeah, Tangerine Dream. Yes, but he had had a list. He'd he'd written him out a list of music that he should listen to while he's working on the game. And Bauhaus was one of them. Okay. So... Yeah. So, so the other film I watched half of, but just had to abandon because I hated it so much, was Leatherface, the 2017 um, latest, I suppose, installment in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. It's on Netflix. Uh, I said I'd give it a whirl, but um, I, I can't say that I thought the film was awful. I, I thought it was par for the course for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. I'm not a fan of this particular franchise, so maybe... Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre fans might get more out of it than I did. I just found I was halfway through and it was just shrill and loud and tedious and um, grim and it was all about sort of abusing people and human torture and all that and you know as much as I like horror I like a sort of an, a popcor- more of a popcorn element and a bit of a fun element to it and um, so yeah uh, 
it just wasn't for me. And 45 minutes in, I th- and normally I will stick a movie out for the full 90 minutes. But in this case, I thought life's too short because uh, I was so bored watching it. Just so incredibly bored. Um, yeah, so I had to give up on Leatherface, I'm afraid. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that one yet, have you? Yes. No, but um, I'm hearing it's sort of the uh, Rob Zombie type. So that's, that's really put me off. Actually, that's a great... Um, comparison it felt very rob zombie there was lots of grainy handheld cameras and it got yeah. the point where i gave up was there's a scene where they're massacring everyone in a in a uh, cafeteria and i just thought oh this is just grim and you know i'm not enjoying it at all yeah i'm hmm. not interested i mean i i lost interest you know probably at the hey, i know nathan loves this film and i kind of like it too the one with the matthew mcconaughey i think oh. that was the last that the was the last in the series where I just I was like, okay, I'm done. Um, I didn't like anything like any of the remakes or sequels to the remakes. They just weren't my cup of tea at all. Mm. I think I've seen it. I can't remember. I, I remember either watching it or or thinking about watching it. I must have been drunk, so I can't remember anything about it. So, <laughs> which so is probably a good thing. Tuesday. Sorry. So that was just a regular Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, so, well, thank you, Eric. Is there anything else? No, that's it. Okay. Well, how about you, Joseph? Well, the only thing I've watched this week, and I binge-watched it in a day, um, was the Netflix series. Uh, it's called You. Um, it originally aired on Lifetime. So uh, uh, I believe they made the, the, the series for, like, one of the cable networks. Um, so, it, so it had a lot of, you know, swearing and nudity and graphic violence. But when it debuted on Lifetime, a lot of it was cut. And uh, Lifetime didn't renew it, so Netflix picked it up. And um, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, or way, way, way behind myself here. Um, uh, it's basically about this guy. He's like a bookstore manager or uh, or an owner or something like that. And he kind of he has this kind of meet cute with this uh, this this female customer, and they kind of you know they kind of flirt and talk about books. So um, we quickly find out that he's a, he's a, a total psychopath. Uh, so he, he uses his kind of internet know-how to spy on her and kind of ingratiate himself into her life. And it's one of those, um, you think it's going to be, Oh, um, he's the, you know, underscore from hell. Um, you know, which is a, you know, a genre that I love, but you think it's just going to be one of those generic, um, kind of throwbacks to that, but it really goes into some, uh, very interesting places outside of that sort of um, aesthetic um, has a lot of weird um, kind of ingenious plot twists um, has like, it's kind of portioned out to where it has like three acts. The first act is the kind of getting to know you stage. And then the second act, which is my favorite act is the, um, okay, now that I'm in your life, I have to deal with all these outside forces like your friends. And then the final act is when all the secrets and revelations start to come out. The middle act um, is probably my favorite where he kind of, you know, not to get into too much spoilers, um, but he kind of has this, um, you know, this face off with another character and it lasts for a few episodes. And it's really tense and really suspenseful. And you're just kind of, you know, biting your nails the entire time. Um, If the show had a flaw, I think it would be the final act when all the secrets are spilled out. Um, it's not quite as interesting as the, the two acts that preceded it, but it's still great. And um, it, it ends on a, uh, I guess you'd call it a cliffhanger uh, leading into the upcoming second season, which I will watch. I really enjoyed this show. Um, you know, it's like I said, it's trashy. It's it's really preposterous, but it's just so engaging. And the lead actor playing the uh, 
the uh, the sociopathic Joe Goldberg. I, I think he's just phenomenal. Um, he's a, definitely a young actor to watch, and this is a great show. So uh, if you have Netflix, uh, I really recommend you check it out. It's only ten episodes, uh, so you know you'll get through it really quick. I I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Joseph. Is it have they Netflix shown shown it with the uh, kind of nudity and the violence put back in? Yeah, all the swearing and nudity mm. and violence. It's all there. Okay. No, I, I, you were sort of recommending that in the week, and I haven't got round to it because I'm finishing off a Spanish language series at the moment. But uh, yeah, that's definitely on the list. Has anyone else seen it? You, you saw it, Nathan, didn't you? Yeah, I saw it. Um, Wes and I actually read the book uh, before I even knew that they were making a TV show. So when the TV show came out, we definitely wanted to watch it. And I thought they did a good job at pretty much following the book. Um I mean, of course, there's a few things they kind of gloss over, but I mean, in in all reality, I think that the show did a really good job. It held my interest. And what's fascinating about this book and show to me is that the lead character is so kind of charismatic um, that you almost find yourself kind of rooting for him, even though like he's the villain. But it's just kind of the interesting part of that show, I guess. Yeah, and one of the other one of the other little neat, um, I guess, kind of twist to this whole thing is that, um, you know, in typically these psycho movies where they fixate on a person, they have this you know idealized version of this person, and that person actually is that idealized version. Um, but in this, you know, he has this idealized version of this girl, and then when he gets to know her, he, we, you know, he and the audience kind of come to find out that she's just maybe not so perfect. It's kind of ingenious. Uh, everyone around her is pretty much the same. So they're like, you're like these people. That they're they're a mess. I think I'm just going to root for Joe, the psycho. I mean, he's the he's the most uh, you know well put together and most charismatic. So it's it's very interesting that way. Excellent. Have you seen it, Amanda? I haven't. This is the first time hearing of it. I'm really bad with Netflix because they used to show stuff that didn't belong to Netflix. You know. And then it just became all these original productions. And I've seen a couple of them, and they're very good. But I like my old school stuff. And so I just kind of drifted over to Amazon, and I kind of forgot that Netflix existed and that they had stuff like this. But this sounds really good. Fair enough. And, uh, Eric, you're not a big TV fan, are you? It's just the time, and you have to invest in them mm. is the problem for me. So, yeah, no. Well, I, I Actually, incidentally, the same day you mentioned it uh, to us, uh, Joseph, somebody else in work was raving about it, and she's uh, a colleague of mine who hates horror, So, uh, but she thought it was absolutely brilliant. And she said it was a nice way to get tips of how to stalk people on the internet uh, if you want to go after, after celebrities. <laughs> Eric, I would, I would recommend maybe watching like the first episode just to see if you get a feel for it. Um, you might actually enjoy this. It's really well done. Uh, I might. I'll see. Okay, right. Uh, anything else, Joseph? Uh, no, we, we just recorded last week, so and I've been really busy with a lot of stuff. So Okay, no problem. Well, thank you. What about you, Nathan? Yeah, I've actually seen several things. Um, I rewatched Flowers in the Attic from the 80s, and um, it's about more than just flowers in an attic. It's about... Um, the kids that uh, are held in an attic by their evil grandmother and their mother, you know. What about the uh, flowers? Where are the flowers? Well, the kids hang flowers up in the in the attic because they can't go outside. So it's kind of like their little garden, I would assume. 
Um, but I mean, I've always loved this movie. I loved it when I was a kid and I still do today. I, I, I don't know how to phrase it, but this movie, in my opinion, is both equally over the top, ridiculous, but fantastic at the same time. Um, it's, it's just one of those movies that I'm just so drawn to watching. I, I love all the drama in it. And, uh, Louise Fletcher is like amazing as the grandmother who is, you know, she's fairly, she's not very nice. You know, the grandma's very mean. Cause I was uh, talking to Wes and I was like, if I was trapped up there, when she came up there, I'd be like, listen, Hey, mama, come here, come here. I know that you don't like us. Okay. I get it. I get it. You don't like us. All right. We're the product of incest. I know that's our fault somehow. But <laughs> um, if you could like bring me a TV and a VCR and some VHS tapes from your local video store, that would be amazing because it's very boring up here. Okay. So, I mean, if you're going to lock me up here, I at least need a TV and VCR. So I would just, I'd just tell her that and hopefully she would listen and not try to poison me. So, you know, that's just that's just my idea of how I would react in that situation. But aside from that, it's a very good movie. Um, and I always kind of get a laugh out of the eat the cookie scene at the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, have we all seen it? Has any of us not seen it? I've not seen it. <gasps> Justin. Mm. I only saw it for the first time last year when Arrow brought it out in Blu-ray. What did you think? Yeah, and I'm- I liked it. I liked it a lot, although it is, as you say, preposterous. I just couldn't see how um, those kids couldn't overpower um, Granny and get out of the house. It's like, what? <laughs> but hey-ho. Yeah. I will, I'll try and watch it before we record next. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> there was a... I didn't, I've only seen it once. Yeah, very few flowers in it, though, as you said. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it since the 90s. A friend yeah, of mine introduced it to me. I saw it when it came out, and I think that was the last time I saw it. Wasn't there like a gazillion books in the series? Yeah. And they yeah, all, a gazillion? Yeah. Were they all set in an attic? Trees in the Basement, that was a sequel, wasn't it? No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, V.C. Andrews was like a, almost like a corporation. Like, I think she died and the books kept, I don't know if they're all in the same series, but V.C. Andrews, like, I feel like there's still books coming out under that name. Mm, I think you might but be right, actually. Yeah. It was not, it's like Daniel Steele or Andy Warhol. It's like they just come up with an idea and then somebody else does all the work. Mm. Wow. You mean Danielle Steele doesn't write her own novels? <laughs> I don't think she does. I think I think it's like a factor. I think it's like Andy Warhol. I mean, I think Andy Warhol did stuff, but he also like delegated stuff. And I feel like Daniel Steele does the same thing. And I mean, and the, artistically, they're both on par with each other, right? So that makes sense. <laughs> and I'm serious about that. By the way. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Nathan. Anything else? You said you've seen a couple of things. Oh, yeah, several. Um, I saw um, the film Ruin Me, um, where the contest or the all the people go to this thing. It's called like a slasher sleep out. So it's like you kind of are in a slasher movie. Uh, but then um, people start getting killed for real, so it seems, and uh, things just kind of go haywire. Um, I, I liked it. Uh, I felt it was kind of predictable, but, I mean, it was it was fun. I just don't see myself watching it again. 
But I mean, it, it wasn't bad. So I mean, I would definitely. It's definitely worth a watch. I've heard of that, but I've not. Uh, is that a, it's a new film? Yes. Mm. Anyone else seen it? No. No. I actually started to watch it, and then I got distracted, and I haven't gone back to it. Okay, well, was one to check out. So, uh, thank you, Nathan. Anything else? Uh, yes, just two more. Mm. I watched "You May Be the Killer," the new horror comedy. Um, uh-huh. I mentioned that last week. Yeah, what did you, think? you did. I really enjoyed it. I mean, here's my thing with it being a horror comedy. Um, some of the jokes kind of fall flat and none of the jokes to me were like kind of laugh out loud funny, but they were just more kind of, I don't know, like, eh, that's kind of funny, but the movie kept me entertained regardless. Um, it's got a humongous body count. I mean, God, I mean, it's like, 12 people die, I think, or 12 counselors. Um, but no, it's, 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 it's a good one. Um, I felt kind of like the Allison Hannigan's character. I mean, you could have probably filmed all her scenes in a day because I mean, she's never in a scene with anybody. She's just always on the phone. Um, but you know, it was, it's fun movie. So I would, I would check it out. Okay, well, that's yeah, another one I, on the list. I know you say you you uh, talked about it last time, didn't you, Joseph? Yeah, I I thought some of it was okay. I just thought the hum the the glib humor just kind of overtook the, uh, the 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 premise of the film, which was more interesting than the the jokes about it. Cool. Has anyone else uh, seen that? Uh, I, I haven't. No. 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 Okay. And uh, lastly. Nathan, what? Lastly, uh, lastly. I watched um, uh, a very terrifying film. It's called The Bear Wench Project. The the Bear Wench (laughs) Project. She is the Bear Wench. Of course she is. (laughs) And she does an incredible job as the Bear Wench. Now, this is about a group of sorority sisters and their tour guide going into the Bear Wench Mountains in Bear Assville. And. Already it's amazing. <laughs> and once they get out there, it kind of follows the Blair Witch Project where weird things start happening. You know, they come across these like little like sex dolls, like stick figures and a, a blow up sex doll. And, you know, it's it, it's very terrifying because um, uh, one of the girls touches it and, you know, it um, makes her feel good, apparently. Um, from what I can see. And also, it <laughs> seems that the only way that these sorority sisters can keep the ble- the bear wench away is if they take their tops off, she'll go away. So the only way um, to save themselves is to run around topless, apparently. That's, uh, it's the opposite of Friday the 13th, then. Yes. <laughs> this you got to be topless. Yeah. <laughs> and... I don't know. The, the whole movie just is so ridiculous and hilarious. And it's just, it's an, a hilarious parody of Blair Witch, in my opinion. Is that, is that Jim Warnowski? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's made a couple of really good movies, but so much of it's like, oh my God, I can't. Like this? <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, he did Chopping Mall, right? Which is a great yes. film. But like, but like. This stuff, I have such a hard time with it, but I love Julie Strain, and she's good in everything. You know, she just kind of shows up and has a great time. Did you guys ever see that documentary called Some Nudity Required? 
um, which was about actresses and these types of movies and, and stuff that they have to do. And a lot of them, you know, we're talking about sort of the horrors of, of it and how they got into these films. And um, some of it's kind of heartbreaking, but they're interviewing Julie Strain on the set of Sorceress, which is a really fucking good movie with, I think Jim Warnowski might've done it as well. That, and, that is a fantastic documentary. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? But like, yeah. but if you remember, they're interviewing Julie Strain and she's sitting at this couch and she's just talking. She's an exhibitionist, right? She's like, oh, whatever. I don't have a problem being naked. And I, I just do it. I enjoy it. I like the attention. And and they say, Julie, we need you on the set. And she stands up and she's completely nude. And mm-hmm. she walks away. And she just, like, that's just Julie Strain. You know what I mean? Yeah. She just she just loves to be naked. You know what I mean? So but it really some, worked out. Some of, these, some of these actresses, just they just have that, that mindset and some don't. And this film, that, that documentary kind of really underscores that. Uh, some of those interviews, you're just like, you're so used to seeing these people in these kind of, you know, you know, in the flesh, kind of in your face, schlocky, trashy kind of aesthetic. And then you see them for who they really are and their and their insecurities about this. And it's just it, it kind of kind of heart wrenching in a way. It is the woman who made the movie had been sexually abused by her um, relative, a relative of hers. I guess that's a spoiler. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, what sent her on the journey of making the documentary was I think she was editing these types of films, maybe for Roger Corman. And she started to wonder about the actresses in the films. And so she she contacted a bunch of like the Maria Ford one. She's also in the unnameable too. Um, her story is really, really sad. And there's I love another- Maria Ford. I used to have so many of those Death Stalker posters um, in my <laughs> in, in one of my old one of my old apartments. Oh, I love those. Yeah, I like her too. Um, and she's, but her story is really hard. So it makes it hard to watch her movies sort of afterwards because I think she really hated a lot of the stuff that she did. And there was another girl that talked about, oh, just it's, there's horror stories. But the Julie Strain part is just hilarious because she's just that comfortable being naked, you know, like she's doing an interview for a documentary naked and she just stands up and walks away. And it's, you're just like, whoa, that was a lot of Julie. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. I love her. I do too. I do too. Hey, she does. Uh, she is naked in the Bear Winch Project too. That's a surprise. <laughs> is there? What, no. what, what might be harder on you is: um, is there a movie where Julie Strain does not get naked? I don't know. Mm. I don't no. think so. No, but there was a TV show she did that was like a prank show, and I wish I could remember the name of it. It was on Fox, and it wasn't the Jamie Kennedy show. It was before that, and she played a dominatrix. And somebody came into a massage parlor or some kind of therapy thing, and they, she played this dominatrix in the next room beating the shit out of somebody, and this oh. person just hears it happening. And and first she sees her, and she's just covered in leather from head to toe, and she's got, like, a whip, and she's like, I'll be with you in a minute. And then she goes in the other room, and it's like... That sounds familiar. I just can't place the name. Yeah, but she's fully dressed in that. That's the only thing I can think of, though. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, one thing that's uh, occurred to me, I don't know if we mentioned it before, but obviously there was the the Bear Wench project was uh, one of the many kind of parodies, wasn't it? The the, um, Blair Witch project that came out after it was made. And there was another one, wasn't it? Do you remember the Blair Fish project? Fish, mm. fish, the oh. Blair Fish Project. It was, um, but it was another one. Of, it was a parody, but it was. Um, I remember it being really funny. I've never. I saw it years and years and years ago, and I've never been to seen a copy since. It's like a, it was a short, 
but it was uh it was it, so it wasn't like a sexy one like the bear wench project but it was like a proper parody and i remember it being really funny so if anyone knows where you can find that uh, let me know um oh, there was the blair bitch project right was that the name of it with linda blair have you guys seen that one no not that one either but i remember it. yeah yeah mm. well thank you nathan is that everything that's all folks. okay well, um, seeking nicely into uh, the couple of things I was going to mention. One uh, was a film that references the Blair Witch Project, which I caught up with um, from 2012, The Barons, uh, which was uh, directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman, who um, made the film I've mentioned recently. I can't remember, it was called Slaughterhouse or Abattoir, I think it was, which I had to turn off because it was too awful. Um, I didn't realise it's him who directed and it stars uh, Stephen Moyer who was in True Blood uh, and various other things and this was um, it was actually quite a pleasant surprise because I I didn't really know what to think know about it or think about it but it was I was just kind of in the mood for like a monster movie and I wasn't really sure if it was going to be a monster movie and it kind of teases all the way through whether or not it is in fact a monster movie and it's, it's kind of based around the uh, the legend of the Jersey Devil and it kind of concerns like a family goes camping and the father is having some kind of breakdown and he's either hallucinating the Jersey Devil or there really is a Jersey Devil out there. And it kind of goes, it, it goes through various kind of, kind of things where you think maybe the Jersey Devil's real or in the film anyway, and it's not. And, they, and I won't spoil the ending, but I kind of really liked the way they did the ending because it, a, a, it had a kind of, a kind of creepiness to it, um, even though it's quite sort of trashy in a kind of good way. And although the Jersey Devil, when you do see it, does look like Mr. Cabri's parrot, which is a little bit off-putting, but it's it's. I thought it was, um, you know, <laughs> as a monster movie, it was pretty. It was pretty good, uh, all things considered. Has anyone seen The Barons? Yeah, I saw that uh, when it came out. Um, I remember liking it a lot. I thought it was just very, very unusual and unsettling. Mm. If I remember correctly, I, I think I think the ending was kind of maybe a little abrupt, but um, I, I overall I enjoyed it. I, I need to go back and revisit it. I really liked the ending. The last five minutes I thought were really well done and it, it all comes together in a way that is kind of teasing you about, you know, and it gives yeah, you, you know. I don't don't really remember the ending too well, but I do remember seeing it because I remember Stephen Moyer in it, but uh, I need to recheck it out again. Cool. Anyone else seen it? No. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, the other uh, film I caught up with, which uh, finally appeared on Netflix, we should be getting some money from Netflix, shouldn't we, for this, uh, for all this promotion for them, but um, was uh, a more recent movie, and it's one that I think you discussed, Eric, uh, a little while back, was Rings, the, uh, the, the franchise killer, or supposedly the, um, the, the franchise starter for, the, the, uh, for a new series of Ring films. And uh, of course, I, it was Eric talking about it. Well, as we know, Eric loves rings normally, but um, but in this in this case, um, I kind of I I didn't know what to thought. Well, I would give it a go. How bad can it be? And it wasn't. The trouble was, it wasn't bad. It was just it wasn't. It was insipid, really. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, that's the, the worst thing uh, a horror movie can be. Really, is is a little bit boring. Uh, I I really liked the the opening on the plane because it was kind of ridiculous and it reminded me a little bit of the um, the scene in Urban Legends Two Final Cut and I love horror movies set on planes you know I think it's a, you know it's great way you've got like basically people trapped and they can't get off a plane and uh, is it like murder at thirty four thousand feet it's like TV movie wasn't it Amanda would know oh yeah horror at thirty seven thousand feet is that the one with Tutankhamun or the the mummy on board. No, that's you're thinking of that's cruising to terror. That's a boat. 
Yeah. Ah, okay. Was there one with something something on the plane that was uh, kind of supernatural? Yeah, that's horror at thirty seven thousand. Oh, it is. Okay, so it wasn't a mummy, but Justin, yeah, mm. Justin, not to uh, not to keep going off sidetrack here, mm. but have you have you seen um, Altitude? Yes, that I have. With the tentacles. And yes, with the tentacles. Yeah, the sky kind of monster. Cthulhu yeah, I really liked that one. Yeah, that was that was that was good. I mean, this this was. I, I, it was a real shame actually because the beginning I thought had a lot of potential, and it's kind of the ridiculous notion as you imagine you've got like uh, Samara or you know those. Um, the American version of Sadako kind of coming out of all the screens on the plane. Uh, and, uh, but it, it's, it was over too quickly. It, it was only about five minutes and they could have really not strung it out, but made a really suspenseful sort of 15 or 20 minutes kind of prologue to the movie. And for some reason they decided to re- cut that really short uh, and then spend like half an hour, 40 minutes on really boring characters. Um, and also it's one of those films where everything happens all the, a bit like the nun. When we spoke about the nun, you kind of throwing all but the kitchen sink into it. And it's just kind of white noise by the end of it is, is that, um, I was talking to Stuart the other day and I remember watching the original ring, the, uh, the Japanese version on video cassette back in probably, well, late nineties. Um, and I had uh, someone sent me a copy from the States. I can't remember where I got it from, but somebody sent me a copy, which all sounds very ring esque and watching the original ring. And that is a kind of, you know, masterpiece in that kind of understatement. And apart from those kind of the really horrific and unsettling sequences in it, uh, and I think once you have this kind of white noise, everything but the kitchen sink thrown at you throughout, throughout it, it becomes you just it, nothing sticks. Although I did like the fact that it um, it played around with some of the themes in Ring Spiral, which was one of the original Japanese sequels, which not one of my favourites, but this kind of idea of uh, um, you know studying the, what was behind the ring and all the kind of uh, using science to analyse and things like that, I thought was kind of had potentially interesting sort of uh, ideas. But ultimately, yeah, it's all a bit of a bit of a mare. It looks great, um, but it's it's. You know, some films you can retread and redo, like a lot of slasher films, like Friday Thirteenth. You could just remake uh, that that kind of you know the Friday Thirteenth film with just very similar, just like the get why the game works so well because it's just very repetitive, but it's something that you can enjoy watching and over and over and over again. But with the Ring, it's just like how many times can you see that that uh, video? you know, and then uh, someone coming out of a TV screen or whatever, it kind of, it, every time you see it, it kind of loses a bit of its power. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a meh, really. Um, did uh, Apart from Eric, did anyone else see see Rings? Mm-mm, no. 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 Well, not a massive recommend uh, from me. But, uh, yeah, so that's everything that we've been watching in the last uh, week or so. So uh, that's already taken up 50 minutes, so... So it's probably time we got on to the main feature. So, Nathan, are you going to bring us back? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, you said it's time I, for the main feature. Yes. Do, well, do you know that's actually what we're playing out with? <laughs> oh, cool. Yep. I picked that song to play out. I thought you might. Yes. Excellent. Well, here's, here's, um, what is this? Is it, I've got this well, file. I couldn't find like an official trailer. I only mm. found fan made ones. So I put in just a clip of one of my favorite little freak out moments in the film. Okay. Well, here is your little clip. Hello. Eddie, if this is a joke, it's not very funny. Hello? Son of a bitch. 
What did he say? It was strange. He said, This is Eddie. I'm here with Jeff now. What? He said, I'm here with Jeff now. Wait, wait what's going on? Eddie just called. I'm sorry. That was some old friends of ours. They're not coming? No, they're not coming. Eddie's my soon-to-be ex-boyfriend, and Jeff's... Jeff's dead! Jeff was a friend of ours who died in an accident. Jeff Stinson. What? Did you know him? No, but I thought he was coming with you. I mean, his name was on the list. What list? The list of people in your party. What are you talking about? I sent Jeff Stinson an invitation, and he accepted. Did you actually speak to him? Hey, man. Where the hell did you get our names from anyways? Hey, cool it. Damn it! Oh, that was just an amazing moment. I'm sorry. I'm just, I just, I love it. Was that music always underneath that scene, or did you just add it? <laughs> no, that music was always underneath that scene. I think one problem with the movie has is sometimes the music kind of overpowers the dialogue. But um, anyway, back to our regularly scheduled program. Corey and Jeff are hot for Trina and itching for a fight. They devise the ultimate duel, a midnight race down perilous ski slopes. But when Jeff careens off the mountain and is impaled on the rocks below, his gruesome death shatters the circle of friends. Years go by and the nightmare fades. Then the members of the circle are mysteriously invited back to the same resort. They're thrilled to be together. It's like old times, reckless skiing and untamed sex. But passion turns into panic when eerie reminders of the past surface and they discover someone spying on them. Blizzard conditions, snowbound and isolated. The seven friends will soon be six, then five. Stalked by a sadistic hunter with a twisted mind, only one of them will survive. That was the back of the video or the VHS box that was on and Prism that's Video. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was about to say that. I'm like, I love the description of this movie because it doesn't quite. It's it's obviously written by somebody who only skimmed this movie and didn't pay full uh-huh. attention. Um. But, I mean, I'm a fan of Ost. I I really like it. Uh, I think that it's, um, you know, I kind of like all the overdramatics of the cast. I love the scene where um, uh, Joe Johnson, like, uh, comes to the door and Lisa Loring opens it. And she's just so, like, entranced by him that she can't even (laughs) speak. (laughs) So I loved that moment. I love her little you know, little, little mini freak out with her friends. Like, can you two just be my friends for five minutes and help me? I mean, it sounded very like high schoolish, but you know, whatever it was fun and, and funny to watch. But yeah, I love the overdramatics and uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, when I find, you know, all my friends dead, uh, my first thought is to call my realtor. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's always the first person I'm going to call. You know, not the police or anything. <laughs> um, I love the icicle as a murder weapon. I think that is unbelievably cool. And, um, I mean, it's kind of an off-screen death, but we see the body later, so hey, that was cool. Um, I love the first death with uh, the bulldozer or snowplow or whatever it is. Uh, I'm not good with machines. 
But um, yeah, the that the death scene there because the guy kind of just falls, but then I don't know he's he doesn't seem to be that much in a hurry to get away, <laughs> you know he just kind of just lays there. He's not even scrambling to get back up. He's just kind of laying there. No, that was so ridiculous, wasn't it? Because he could have got up and run away because that thing was moving at like two miles an hour. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was funny and. Of course, we're going to spoil it, and I cannot not talk about the final shot of this movie. Okay, and you guys all know what I'm talking about, because they're building a snowman. And out of nowhere, the killer jumps out of this snowman. Now, how would he get into the snowman? I'm very curious about the logistics of this. Obviously, there's a trap door underneath the ground that he has to go up through. Oh, and the snowman was hollow. Yeah, Nathan. Get in. Oh my God! Yes, yes, of course. Um, but no, there's there's a whole lot that I could say, but uh, I think I want to turn it over to our guest, Amanda. What do you think of Ice? Um, well, is it okay if I spoil spoil it? Because, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, because the there's some continuity things I wanted to bring up, but I just wanted to start by saying I yeah, I love this movie. I love it. I've seen it a whole bunch of times. Um, I actually saw it in the theater. Uh, within the last couple of years uh, at the Alamo, they do this thing called Video Vortex. And they they uh, project videos like once a month. They pick like a, something that's not usually available in any other format. And they show it to um, usually an unsuspecting audience. And How does it look on the big screen, Amanda? It, 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 it looked like it looks on VHS, just yeah. bigger, like that kind of like gauzy like yeah. Vaseline lens softness to it. Um, but it's, uh, it was great. And the audience loved it. They loved it. Um, and so I'll just talk about the continuity things to sort of bring up what they loved. Um, but um, personally, I think the movie, it's not, obviously not very scary, but it's really light and breezy. I like the characters. I think um, I like kind of the histrionics of it. I think it's really well paced, but mostly it's just kind of surreal. It, it's kind of like a fever dream in a way. And, um, and it's really, WTF. The whole movie is WTF. And um, I just, it goes by so fast. Like, I, all of a sudden I'm at the end of the film and it's just, I love it. I just think it's really well paced. Um, some things that I really like about it is uh, I like that Trina works out in the kitchen while everybody else cooks. I don't know why she has to like pump iron while they're cutting carrots, but that's so funny. And she's constantly working out in the kitchen, like not just the one scene where they're first in the kitchen, her and, um, oh my God, Jeanette. But, uh, but she has to like work out again when they go back in the kitchen. And I guess that plays into the end of the film because she's a very in shape final girl. But um, that's one of my favorite moments. Um, and I, I keep a set of barbells in the kitchen now just to contribute to her. Um, I really hey, like Amanda. Uh, do you keep your Rockadile shirt in the kitchen as well? I, I wish I had a Rockadile shirt. I love that shirt. <laughs> and I love, I think, I think that character is just warm all the time because she never wears sweaters when she's in the house even though everybody else is and then she runs around in her underwear at the end yeah and i think all that working out keeps her really warm and so i'm gonna i'm gonna try that if i ever find myself in the swiss alps or something but um i really love that monologue that she has about the drive-in where she stuffs her bra because it's so yeah it's so out of the blue you know, and then she's really confessional. She's like, I didn't have tits back then. And then and then she's like, stop looking at my chest, Carl. And it's just it's so weird. Like, I don't even understand why it's there, but it's kind of an interesting monologue. And I could see Deborah DeLisso thinking, "Ooh, 
I have a monologue, you know what I mean? Because she's really doing her best to like make it this really interesting scene. Um, but um, to go back to the continuity, so there's a scene when um, the couple, with the doctor and his wife, uh, or I guess this is his girlfriend, they're not married yet, as we find out, um, that um, they come to the house or the cabin or whatever, and Jeanette, uh, who's Lisa Loring, is like, oh, I'll show you the bedroom. So when she starts on the first floor, she's wearing ski pants and a red sweater. And when she gets to the second floor, she's in a completely different outfit. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that's really important because she's kind of a diva and you have to have your costume changes. But somehow she manages to completely change by the time she gets to the top of the stairs. Um, Do you know what um, it is? I've heard from people who've worked on films that sometimes they shoot things on different days. And maybe that's what happened. I, I think that is what happened. Yeah. See, I know my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you clarified that because I was really confused. <laughs> <laughs> but then they ha- shouldn't they have somebody, a job who's a continuity person for that? They, sh- they should. Mm. They should. You know, I worked on a really low budget film, not to get off track, but um, and they had a continuity person. And it was interesting because they had a scene in a room where they had a pitcher of water with ice in it. And she took Polaroids of the pitcher so that when they got back after they reset the cameras, that the ice would look just like it looked before they cut to change angles. And that was her job. And she had hundreds of Polaroids. They didn't have that. No, obviously not. <laughs> I also did. I was. Uh, I didn't work on it, but um, they shot a movie at the bookstore I worked at in L.A. And actually, they had a. So there's just one scene where somebody comes in and finds a book on the shelf, and the actor was like, "I can't remember if I was wearing the coat or not when I came into the store because they had shot an exterior somewhere else." And the director actually said, "Oh, don't worry about it. That might have been the director vised." <laughs> I might have been the same person. So. <laughs> but anyway, um, also there's that scene where um, Alex Bourne um, and Jeanette are st- by the fireplace and they're hanging out and they're getting to know each other. And she's like, I was a debutante and I come from a wealthy family and blah, blah, blah. And they start making out, like making out. And then they cut to like people on ski lifts and then they cut back and they're making out in front of all their friends. Like everybody's in the same room at the party but they're just like on top of each other. And I, that scene is hilarious to me. It's hilarious to me. Um, but I think the, the scene that always gets to me is the scene that uh, Nate played. So Alex is the killer, but he's at the house when Eddie calls, but Eddie's I, dead. Yes. I, cu- I couldn't get my head around this. Yeah. Either. I thought I missed something in the plot. Is it, super, is it supernatural? Because he has these like weird... I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why Eddie's there. And it always throws me off every time. I mean, uh, how Eddie can make the phone call. Yeah, I can't figure it out. But it kind of segues me into Eddie. So Eddie is the guy with the mustache that gets killed by the snowplow, which they mimicked in Austin Powers, by the way. Do you remember that with the steamroller and the guy standing in front of him? And he's like, no, it's the same thing. So um Eddie is only in two or three scenes, but I have a whole backstory set up for Eddie. I don't know why every time I watch this movie, I have a whole other second film with Eddie in it. So I think it's because he has a mustache that I can't (laughs) stop thinking about him. But like, so Eddie, you know, she's always talking about Eddie's at the office. He's having an affair with a woman at the office. Oh, Eddie works really hard at the office. So I think Eddie's office is really just a cubicle where he's constantly smoking and he's got like pinups of women in lingerie. 
hanging up at it. And he's just like, and he listens to Huey Lewis constantly. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Eddie. And so whenever I watch this movie, I just, I have to think about it. I have to like stop the film and like give 10 minutes to Eddie. I don't know why, but I love him. Um, And so, and I just wanted to mention that I think Corey is a hottie. So Corey is the guy that's married to Deborah DeLisso. Um, But his death is my favorite in the film because he's eating that pie. And it's disgusting because he's like, which is gross in and of itself. And then he gets stabbed in the neck and then like the pie comes out of his mouth. I thought it looked quite a nice pie. (laughs) It it did look like a good pie, but there's just something about the way he's eating it that I just can't stomach. But I did take a still of him with the knife in his uh, neck and the pie coming out of his mouth because it's like, it's like so gross that I can't stop looking at it. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, and so I don't know if I have much to say about it. I just think it's, it's really fun. Um, I think Deborah DeLisso is really good in it, but I have to tell you, I think this is Lisa Loring's film. Uh, she's really over the top. She's really over the top. Like that scene that Nate was talking about, you know, could you guys just be my friends for five minutes and help me have an affair? Is basically what she's saying. <laughs> and she's really mad that they don't want to help her with that. Um, I also think it's got kind of an ambitious twist. And I want to say this time, I really watch for foreshadowing. And so, you know, that scene where Alex Bourne is in the bathtub and he's fantasizing about him with um, Lisa Loring. And you can tell that one of his legs is twisted. And then they cut to him in his like real world, whatever his real world is, where he's just in the tub by himself. And one of his legs is missing. So uh, but they cut to it so quick that it's hard to tell if it's bent or if it's actually not there. And I think that 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 that's kind of good. I think that like it's an ambitious film for what little they had to work with and for how hackneyed it ended up being and flawed. I think that they were actually shooting for something. And I love movies that are just trying, like you just really have to try for me and I'll meet you halfway. And ice does it. And, and I think that the fact that the actors seem to care about what they're doing, um, maybe too much, (laughs) maybe they're a little too passionate about it, but like, um, but the fact that they're just trying makes me love it even more. I think it's a really charming film and I can't imagine anybody not enjoying it. So I recommend it. Oh, very good, very good. And, you know, it's funny you're talking about that continuity thing. I always love the fact that the 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 killer, uh, out, you know, during the massacre goes home so that he can take a phone call from the final girl <laughs> <laughs> and come back. Well, he had to take a nap. Yeah. He well, tired. he got that from Russ Thorne in Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> um, okay, what about you, Eric? Yeah, um, I really liked um, Iced. Now, I only saw this maybe seven. I think was on our very first episode, uh, Justin, that you put this into the top three what the fuck moments. Oh, the probably. Ending. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of Iced, to be honest. And uh, I sought it out shortly afterwards. And uh, I don't remember loving it at the time, but rewatching it again this week for the podcast, I did really like it. So, yeah, the, here are some of the reasons. One is it's a straight up slasher, which is what I like. And it follows the formula that I really like in a slasher, which is people in an isolated location being killed off and nobody realizes there's a killer till the final 10 minutes. That's the structure I want from a slasher movie. And this does it. Uh, it's also it's so goofy. It can't help but be entertaining. And um, as Amanda was saying, uh, Lisa, is it, what's her name? Lisa Loring, is it? I've written down wrong here. Yes. Uh, 
is um, she, she's brilliant in the film and she has the world's most amazing hair. Uh, it's so high. And I, th- I presume it's not a wig because it looks like she has a sort of a B-52s style wig on. But I'm guessing it's the real McCoy. Um, it has buttocks in it. It has lots and lots and lots of buttocks in it. Male buttocks, female buttocks. Yeah, just buttocks wall to wall in it. Um uh, again, that thought-provoking conversation about stuffing your bra with tissue paper and then your bra gets wet and the tissue paper dissolves. Um, I thought that was just one of the most off-the-wall uh, sort of monologues in the history of slasher movies. Uh, I like that it has characters called Corey and Jeff, which are real American names, and they have great new romantic fringes. Uh, even though it's 1988 or so, and I'm guessing new romantic had been and gone at that stage. Uh, I love the ski race sequences, which, um, let's say, they're kind of shot in a pedestrian manner. Uh, and I think I think we're supposed to get this um, feeling of speed from the from these scenes that they're going like a hundred miles an hour, but it, in reality it looks like they're going at about three miles an hour as fast as the snowplow probably. Uh, I love that ending as well, but I'm going to have to um, you know bail out the filmmakers here because I think that ending is obviously a dream sequence because it has that kind of swirly music in the background that they do at the end of Friday the Thirteenth uh, when um, Alice gets pulled under the water by Jason. So I think it's obviously meant to be interpreted as a dream sequence so they can get away with anything then, including the silly shot of a man jumping out from inside a snowman. Um, so, But one of the things I, I just love about the film is the complete lack of pretension and the desire to entertain and the fact that it's not afraid to be silly. Um, and, you know, in the week when I sort of tried to watch Leatherface and got halfway through and it was just grim and a bit Rob Zombie-ish for me, uh, Iced was the perfect antidote to that because it reminded me of why I like slasher films. I mean, it's not a classic, but um, it's very, very watchable. I'd love to see a Blu-ray treatment for this because, um, you know, the VHS, VHS print is decent enough, but, uh, you know, it has, you know, a stunning backdrop to it in those scenes where you see the snowy mountains and that in the background. I think it would benefit from a cleanup. And I'd love to hear, you know, some behind the scenes stuff about it because I found very little on the internet about it. Um, it, it lacks gore. And I imagine... If I had watched this film back in the 80s, I probably would have hated it just for that very fact that there was no gore in it. Um, but I'm finding sort of as the years pass by, I'm, I, I, I'm getting a lot more entertainment value out of the non-horror portions of these films, to be honest. You know, um, I love these dramatic elements. The moody hissy fits of Jeff at the start were hilarious. Uh, by the way, I thought that um, when Jeff is having his rant in the in the cock coffee bar or the the restaurant whatever it is and he's chatting to somebody who we don't see i thought initially he was just talking to himself and i thought yeah. oh he really is insane he's just <laughs> having this mad conversation with himself um it, it's not until the, the flashback later on i realized there is actually a second person there um uh i love the you know the, the troubled junkie carl who takes heroin in the nude or uh, is it cocaine i'm not sure i'm not a druggie i'll have to ask nathan later about which drug it was he was taking <gasps> <laughs> Eric. <laughs> unfortunately, though, unfortunately, though, Eric, I, I doubt this will ever see a Blu-ray release because um, it was edited on tape. So anyone who released it would have to go back and re-edit the entire movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. what I heard too. I was going to say something. I don't know enough about how to master Blu-rays, but I'd heard that there were no real film elements for it. Um, but you know, I don't know how they do it. But Blood Lake's coming out on Blu-ray, right? Um, yeah. And that's just shot on video, so I guess there's ways to do it, well, but I don't know that they I, can clean it up or make it look better. I think the, the the case with Blood Lake was that it was shot on video, but it was transferred to film and edited mm-hmm. that way. Okay. Um, but this was edited on tape, so, I mean, I, I'm not even sure if they have the film elements, so it would be just almost 
impossible to do that just for a Blu-ray. It'd be just probably too expensive, I, I imagine. Yeah. It would be, you know, counterproductive, I suppose. Um, yeah, the other thing that stuck out for me was when Jeanette gets that phone call. I was like, Who, who's phoning? The, the guy who's revealed to be the killer is in the room with them. So who's making the phone call? Well, it occurs to me it's probably Alex Bourne's secretary. That's what I was wondering. But then she says, she, um, like, Jeanette has no idea that, that she's convinced it's Eddie. So it must sound like a man's voice. So she well, must be just- she's very good, that actress. She's awesome, isn't she? She's really- <laughs> I have a hot date. Yeah. <laughs> she was so much fun. She reminded me kind of of the shopkeepers in um Yes. <laughs> Read it later, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She 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 reads her lines like she doesn't take a break where she's supposed to. Like she's like she's like, Oh, you'll do fine tomorrow. Well nobody's here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's supposed to be like a break yeah, in no like your delivery. Time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, oh the other thing I noticed about Jeanette actually is that uh we see her at one stage eating a carrot and drinking a glass of wine. And I like to call that the Justin Kurzweil diet. Because I imagine that, Justin, that's you at night watching movies with a carrot in one hand and a glass of wine in the other. Well, it's a classic vegan diet, isn't it, Eric? It is the classic vegan <laughs> diet. Yeah. Um, no, big thumbs up from, for Iced from me. Um, you know, the old me, or the younger me, I should say, would have said it was too slow, but uh, the the me of 2019, very much into it, and loving all the, the sort of silly soap opera dynamics that were going on when there wasn't, um, you know, snowbound mayhem happening on screen. Yeah. Uh, as I said, it was the complete opposite to my experience watching Leatherface. I liked it. Awesome. Awesome. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. What about you, Joseph? Oh, um, you know, I, of course, enjoy Iced for uh, all of the wrong or perhaps right reasons. I mean, the film is just bonkers. I mean, never mind that you have uh, an adult Lisa Loring in various stages of near or full-on undress. Uh, Iced also, you know, it features an exercise routine with a baker's rolling pin. It has the killer POV cam through that cracked ski visor, which I really love. And I think if you look at the um, the killer on the on the external side, I don't think the ski visor is cracked, or maybe I missed it. Um, but when you see through it, it's just like, it's like a giant hole where yeah, anyone could see into his eyes. Yeah. I noticed that as well. It's like, hmm, yeah. the crack doesn't appear to be there. Or if it is, it's very minor compared to the other side of the view. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, um, I mean, this film has mo- more soft lighting, you know, than your average eighties porno film. I mean, um, I mean, this snowbound revenge tale is just schlock to the nth degree. Um, it is shot on, uh, you know, very low quality film and then edited on tape, as I said. So it has that kind of that, that, that late 80s trash uh, aesthetic down to, a uh, you know, to a degree that would probably blind Thomas Dolby. Um, uh, this might be one of those rare films where the slasher stuff, like Eric said, is kind of mundane um, in comparison to all the, you know, the bad helmet hair and the, the endless fits and spurts of relationship drama, you know, which this that's the stuff I really loved. You know, I love the slasher stuff, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, like Eric, the older I get, the more I just find these little moments um, in, a, in a sort of riff tracks kind of way I, that I love them. Um, I also love the killer's reveal. It's a hoot because uh, his connection to these individuals is tertiary at best and probably laughable at worst. I mean, this is a guy who... Um, you know, we're getting into spoilers here, so be warned. This is a guy who basically, you know, sees a dead body and ends up breaking his leg. And then he blames it on these other people because the guy died. I mean, it's your fault that you broke your leg, dude. So you're going to go kill these people. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so it's so stupid. 
and I love the snow cloud death scene, like like you guys talked about. How it's just so absurd, and they they mimic that in the Austin Powers film. They kind of spoof that whole, "Hey, dude, you got plenty of time to get away." But I think my absolute favorite scene in the film is the um, is the small talk kind of slash uh, sex scene intercut with uh, Jeanette and the uh, the dude who turns out to be the killer. Um, it's it's shot at this kind of appropriate angle, and it's brightly lit. And, and their dialogue, you know, back and forth with one another, you know, is just so banal. Um, you know, just talking about, oh, I grew up here. I grew up there. And then it, <laughs> it, it looks like, I mean, the whole scene, the, this whole portion of the intercut, it looks like, and this is no offense to you, Amanda, as I know you're a fan. And I'm actually saying this with reverence. Um, it kind of looks like a really bad soap opera from the 80s, like maybe Santa Barbara or something. Um, but, you know, I like that. It's just that's what it reminded me of. Um, you know, anyway, it cuts back and forth between that and this, uh, I guess, their follow up sex, as it were, you know, you know, between Jeanette and the dude who, who turns out to be the killer. I don't remember his name. So that's what I'm calling him. Um, you know, it, it, it shows them in this bathtub of kind of, you know, splashing water. And both characters are kind of nipple to nipple. I mean, literally, as, as the, the cinematographer has oh, the he has the stones to actually zoom in on both of their of their nipples as they're caressing one another, um, and then it'll cut back to them talking on the on the shag rug, um, kind of having this you know gooey little character moment. You know, between that and you know Lisa Loring, uh, you know, making her attempt at making fuck me eyes toward that dude who turns out to be the killer. Um, you get this. You get the bare essentials of why I loved Eyes. I mean, it's just so schlocky. It's trashy. I mean, it's utterly shameless, and you know, and how how just how how just crazy it all is. Uh, but I think therein lies all the fun. And, you know, um, uh, that ending, as Nathan said, is just so great. Um, I, I can't even begin to think how a dude would get inside of a snowman. How long he was waiting in there, et cetera, et cetera. If they just found his corpse and built a snowman around him, I don't know. Uh, but this is a thumbs way up for me. I love Iced. Um, this is one of those uh, almost – it's not quite as good as Nailgun Massacre, but it's almost on that level of bad movie aesthetic for me. Um, I could watch it you know, you know, at least once or twice a month. I love it that much. So uh, thumbs way up for me. This is a great eighth birthday pick. Um, can I can I just mention you were talking about Lisa Loring and like um, states of undress and stuff like that, and it, it reminded me of another continuity error where she, after Alex Bourne, the killer leaves, she's like um, talking to Carl, and she's like, oh, you know, they're talking or whatever, and she's like, I'll take that as a compliment, and he grabs her and he's like, gonna rape her, it seems like, and then it cuts to something else, and then she's taking off the sheer robe. I don't even know how she and got into in the it. Hot tub. <laughs> getting I'm like, like what? Happened? what happened to her? Is she okay? Like, <laughs> did she, you know, did he, what, how far did it go? Like it just cuts and then it's, it's, she's okay. And she gets in the hot tub. I can't figure out what happened. And she doesn't seem affected like no. at all. No, it's such a weird scene. And Carl, 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 can we talk about Carl? No, no, Carl. That's nope. how I feel. That's how I feel about him. He just—he's grosses me out. Like the actor's fine. I don't have a problem with the actor, but the character really grosses me out. He's a strange character. Just—I don't know how else to describe him. He takes drugs and he's obnoxious to everyone, and yet he's invited with along with all his friends to here. I and mean, they—they don't seem to have an issue with him being there. 
But he's like, he's constantly like kissing on Lisa Loring and she doesn't like it. And he's high all the time. And none of the other characters are high. Like it just, but there's just something really gross about him. It just, he bothers me. But yeah. I love him. I love him. Did you hear that, Nathan? I don't think it's gross when and having to deal with people who are high. Just thought you might like to know. No, well, I cocaine like that, high. That, I like that's that kind of high. I like that the um, I like that the yeah, the killer in this film. Um, you know, he's he's got his mind set on killing all these people. But I I like that he actually takes the time to kind of get to know Lisa Loring and to have <laughs> sex with her in a bathtub before well, he, he you know before he kills everybody. He he I, must have seen her. When he was at the uh, lodge at the beginning, because he's in the tub fantasizing about her before he meets her. So, like, yeah. so like he must have just, even though he's saving Deborah Delisso for the end, as he says to her, you're the last one and I'm going to make this last. But he he had had, he must have had a crush on Lisa Loring from the beginning. I mean, that's all I could figure because either that or he had a premonition about yeah. meeting her. And so or that's why I buy into... bad editing again. Who knows? It probably is. But that's why I buy into Eric's It's All a Dream ending because there's lots of dreams in this movie. Carl has a dream, right? Where he sees himself in the bed and he's bleeding. And then Alex has the dream in the hot tub. And so everybody's having lots of dreams. <laughs> and so why not at the end make it all just a dream? And Corey and Alex are both dream E. Corey is... <laughs> The dreamiest fucking thing I've ever seen, guys. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> wow. He's <is> so gorgeous. <laughs> well, what about you, Justin? Well, oh, no, Justin's the dreamiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, thank you, Amanda. I'll, I'll pay you later. Uh, um, what about myself, Joseph and Nathan? Everybody's dreamy, but Justin's the dreamiest, and I'm sending him photos right now. Ah, I shall look. I'll certainly go on ping up in a minute. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I I really liked iced. Um, I can't remember what I thought of it when I first saw it, but uh, yeah, it's all the things you you said. There's a there's a sense of fun to it, which <clears throat> sorry I I kind of really appreciate. Um, it can, I think it's not taking itself too seriously, <clears throat> um, which again is something that uh, I kind of appreciate because by 1987 when this was shot, there's obviously a slasher movie had been parodied and um, you know. Uh, the, 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 sort of it had gone from its heyday of like the cinema uh being sort of a you know big shot of the cinema to certainly kind of haunting the, the racks of video aisles which is not necessarily a bad thing but um this is one of the more entertaining uh slashes from the late 80s as far as, as far as i'm concerned i mean i i really like the killer i think eric you kind of hit the nail on the head it's it's it works partly because it it's it's repetitive in so much it kind of copies uh previous slashes but the formula down to a t really the only thing that's kind of struck me as slightly strange watching it this time was and i i agree again with you actually the um uh, uh looking back in retrospect now possibly not at the time when it came out but the kind of the talky bits uh are actually as entertaining i think as, as the slasher bits but there's there's a, a section of about 20 minutes when everyone sat around talking in one room which kind of struck me as a little bit odd as a bit sort of almost like a a, a stage play which uh, when we get into background to kind of make a bit more more sense but uh i love the the killers the crap visor and again it's hilarious it, it kind of keeps changing 
Um, but I also thought, even uh, against all odds, the, the killer was quite creepy at the end when you've got the final girl being chased around the house, basically kind of recreating. It's kind of like a mashup between Amy Steele's Hiding Under the Bed in Friday the 13th Part 2 and Jamie Lee Curtis's um, uh, sort of a, a kind of scene in uh, the end of Halloween with Dr. Loomis. But with the um, when the killer's coming up the stairs, he walks like Michael Myers which I can appreciate it, he was doing. And also the fact is, also another thing I appreciated, the fact that this isn't like a wisecracking killer. This isn't like your psycho cop or, um, you know, that, that kind of ilk. This is kind of like the silent brooding uh, killer. Obviously, it doesn't make a lick of sense with the, the identity of, of the killer. But then, of course, that's part of the, the whole beauty of it. And all the way through, you know, there's there's strange... Uh, images and scenes i mean like we've mentioned about lisa loring's carrot but it's it's the biggest carrot i've ever seen um <laughs> and she's kind of sort of rubbing it around her lips and it and, you know it's just kind of bizarre and also of course the other thing we haven't we haven't really well we have touched on we I mean, we've talked about the nudity but you know is how much nudity there's is actually in this film is one of the the most kind of nudity heavy slashes um of this kind of period i think uh i mean lisa loring uh, you know obviously famous for playing wednesday adams in the original um uh, uh adams family on tv is uh, i mean in one shot when she dies in the hot tub i mean she's bucking in a thing and it's, it literally it, she's a um a crop away from showing well more than you might expect to see of her because she's bucking and her you see a, a pubis rise up through the hot tub and if she got any higher you would have seen the whole well the whole picture um so Wait, just as she write romance novels i see her pubis rising up the water. <laughs> well, i was trying to think of a way i could say it delicately but but yeah surprising <laughs> well, sorry, sorry one thing i wanted to mention real quick was um uh, i know nathan uh justin and eric probably won't be able to identify with this but um i don't have a problem with uh, male or female nudity obviously in these films and, and I, I like some of it too and it, when it's like a when it's like a pre-established person who's who was like a child star yeah i can't, I can't even as they're an adult I, I still get creeped out seeing them nude like um, yeah. you have like so many child stars who grow up and then they do nudity i just can't watch it it, it mm. skews me out well, it just—it yeah, just seemed, yeah. But the whole thing, it just seems uh, kind of uh, odds. In in, I don't know. It wasn't there? There were kind of quite a lot of sex scenes, uh, and certainly the, the first sex scene uh, with Corey and Tree—is it Trina? Um, the uh, yeah. in the it, in the lodge. It's graphic. It's very graphic. I mean, even I was thinking because there was a bit where them on the she she straddled him on a on a chair, and you can see under her buttocks towards where basically his balls would be and if it was a bit lit any brighter you probably would have seen his balls so it kind of yeah, almost I no complaint about that part no i know you wouldn't do that Amanda, but <laughs> but it, it kind of it just tipped over into i was thinking god is this gonna you know could this go into like hardcore i know obviously didn't but well, it, well to, to its favor it does have its share of male nudity too well, it, it, does, I mean, it yeah. has more female nudity but it's mm. kind of nice to see like that it's it's almost equal in that Yes, and which I, you know, obviously, and I appreciate it. It just kind of, it, it was a little bit, um, uh, not jarring exactly, but it kind of almost, I kind of guess it was looking forward. I don't know if Skinner Max and those kind of, uh, stations were around at that time, but that, that kind of almost the erotic thriller where, you yeah. know, it grinds to a halt literally for bumping and grinding for <laughs> five minutes and then back. Her pubis rises and it grinds to a halt. <laughs> In a jacuzzi. So I was trying to say, and I was trying to think of a, uh, a nice way of putting it, but, uh, yeah, so that kind of, that, um, that, that always kind of, 
shocks me. I forget how much nudity is in this um, in this uh, movie. So uh, I'm trying to think. A lot of the things we've already been said. Um, I mean, I, I the beginning bit with the, um, the the ski chase, and it's almost. I don't know who did the music to this, but it's almost like a Bond theme, a Bond chase. You know, like a, um, Roger Moore's being chased in a speedboat by someone with giant silver teeth. It's kind of got that kind of music, but the, the visuals don't quite quite match well um, in for your eyes only he, there is a, a spectacular ski chase um ah, in, okay so yeah. that's probably what you're thinking yeah. the other thing the thing that i there was i every time i watch this there's a scene where um is it jeff who's the one who, who dies but he's he's having a race of cory at the beginning and he falls over and he gets up and he chucks his ski poke or whatever they call the, well, the ski stick through the air i always expect it to kind of go into um into cory's head or into his chest and it never does <laughs> you never see where it goes it just he just throws it like a javelin and then it disappears uh well, so when he uh when he leaves the hotel after he sees them like in the uh, he sees Corey and um trina in the room together and jeff has this freak out and then he decides he's going to go skiing to work off his anger or whatever his night skiing and he stands in the middle of the hall and he just holds up like his ski stick like and it's like, dun dun, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And he's just standing there really menacing for no reason, except that he's in a hallway and he has a ski stick. So he might as well be menacing with it. It's yeah, it's a, it's a film that keeps on giving. And I, um, and, and again, we talked about this, but the, the, the idea that the killer goes home after a hard night of killing everyone apart from the final girl and then gets into bed. So presumably he's either <laughs> staying in one of because you see there's lodges all around, isn't there? this remote ski lodge there is actually other lodges so presumably the killer is staying at one of these lodges um because he gets back to the house very quickly doesn't he he does and also did you notice that bit at the end where sorry i was just gonna say the imaginative imaginatively named snow peak yes yes Well, did you also notice that there was the the scene at the end where where trina's she's barricaded the door and then Corrie talks through the door and then the killer breaks it down. So it was, was it, Alex. It was it Alex was. saying he was there, and then uh, she thought she didn't realize Alex was the killer. Ah, uh, I thought she said. I thought it sounded like it said it was Corey. Um, she thought it was Corey outside, but I might have just going to. It's all a bit. All goes a bit insane, doesn't it? And then of course got the killer who's got his false leg, um, and uh, you know he falls. It's kind of like it's the it's like the Paralympics uh, version, of the end of Halloween, isn't it? a bit yeah. yes but um but yeah so yeah thumbs up from me that's awesome that is uh very awesome i'm glad that all of you liked it mm-hmm. because um you know I, I was i was unsure on this one um i i just wasn't sure if y'all would or not so i can't wait till we cover blood frenzy now you know, I yeah. haven't never seen that. I started to watch it the other day, and um, Lisa Loring's in that as well. Yes. And uh, and I didn't make it through the whole thing because it was late at night, and so I kind of dropped off and, and missed the whole second half. And but it, she it has just, the same level of histrionics. Yes, she has just the same level in Blood Frenzy. <laughs> Except in Blood Frenzy, she's uh, not as likable, but that yeah. makes me like her character even more. She's kind of the main girl. In Blood is, Frenzy, I've never seen Blood Frenzy. Is it a slasher or 
Yes. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's a slasher a, in the desert. Yeah, a therapist takes yeah. like all her patients out to the desert for like some intense therapy for some reason. But once they get out there, like they get stranded, sort of like hills have eyes, and then somebody starts picking them off one by one. Sounds good. And yeah, Lisa Loring is great because there's a great line she gives in it where they found somebody murdered, and one of the girls goes. Well, the only one who didn't have a reason to kill him was me. And Lisa Loring goes, since when does a psycho need a reason? Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's just honest. Yeah. Come on, guys. Can't you help me for five minutes? <laughs> I just want to have an affair. <laughs> Can't you help me? You know, I have to say, though, she is beautiful. And you can say what you want about her hair, but I love it. It's big, but it looks really soft. And like I just want to, I just want to touch it. Like, <laughs> it's classic eighties hair. And I love when she's like getting ready in her lingerie, which she ends up not wearing because she has a white dress on. But she's got this black panties and this weird little robe over it, and she's smoking and doing her lipstick and her nails. And I'm like, I want to be her so bad. I like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's just amazing to look at. She's stunning. I think she's a really beautiful woman. Yeah. I just do. I'm sorry. Um, well, I guess that uh, we can go in on the background. Yeah. <laughs> I killed the from that. No, no, um, I was like, I mean, I agree with you. I think she is, uh, she's, uh, she's is very beautiful. Yeah. She's stunning to look at. Um, as long as she's clothed, when yeah. she removes her clothes, she's, I, uh, she has a great body, but I just don't want to look at it. Cause I'm, I associate her with that child uh, from the Adams family. So yeah, I agree with that too. It's really strange. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I don't have a lot in the way of background. Um, I only have a few things, so hopefully you guys have um, more. But um, of course, like we said, Lisa Loring was the original Wednesday Adams. Um, the movie was filmed in Snowbird, Utah. Uh, Deborah DeLisa, who played Trina, and Dan Smith, who plays Jeff in the movie, were married in real life and still are. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, and Lisa Loring, um, and Doug Stevenson, who played Corey, were married at the time of filming as well, but they uh, were in the process of breaking up, which made what for a, a little bit of an awkward set. What a beautiful couple. My God. I know. Um, Deborah DeLiso and Joe Johnson, who played Alex, were both in the Slumber Party Massacre, one of my favorites. And Joe Johnson uh, wrote Iced and also wrote the part of Trina, especially for Deborah DeLiso to play. And that is uh, the background I have. What about you, Amanda? Um, uh, so I have a little bit of conflicting information here. So it was originally called Blizzard of Blood. That was its shooting title, I think. It was shot in Utah, like you said. But I have the location, and it was shot in 1987. The uh, I have the location as a place called Big Cottonwood Canyon. Well, I think some uh, was filmed there, um, okay. but Deborah DeLiso said that a majority uh, that she was involved in was filmed in Snowbird. Okay. So, so I think they were filmed in both. Okay, so Big Cottonwood Canyon is south of Salt Lake City, um, and it's actually adjoined to something called Little Cottonwood Canyon. Um and there are two ski resorts there, so they probably didn't shoot it at either one of these. But um, I thought they might have shot it at Brighton or a place called Solitude. And I thought it might have been the Brighton Ski Resort because they have night skiing. Um, and that was just – I don't even know how I got all that information right there. But 
Um, just randomly, I looked up other movies shot in Utah that were horror movies. So The Stand, I guess portions of that were shot there, the miniseries. Uh, the Boogans, one of my favorites. Don't Go in the Woods, uh, Carnival <gasps> of Souls, uh, Halloween 5. Parts of Halloween 5 were actually shot at a place called the Cottonwood Paper Mill. Um, Hereditary, Ice Spiders, Berserker, which also starred uh, Joseph Allen Johnson. I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. And the TV movie The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Um, at Brighton, um, Better Off Dead was actually filmed. Um, parts of that were filmed at the Brighton Ski Resort. Um, you mentioned Joseph Allen Johnson wrote Iced uh, and played Alex Bourne. He is also in Berserker. So he has a pretty interesting um uh, horror movie cred variety called the film mild they didn't like the talky parts at all they said the interpersonal relationships were quote unquote trivial and boring but they liked the snowy locations um the, who which were shot by a guy named eugene Shuglight. i think i'm saying that right uh a variety called it atmospheric um Shuglight actually did some photography on evil dead 2 which came out around the same time and he was a cinematographer in hide and go shriek um, in that issue of Variety, they actually reviewed Ghost House along with it. They called Ghost House Doll, by the way, which is a lie. Um, <laughs> and like you said, Doug Stevenson was married to Lisa Loring. Um, Doug, actually, that actor who played Doug, uh, I mean, the actor played Corey Doug, he actually passed away a couple years ago, which was heartbreaking for me because he's so fucking beautiful. I can't stand it. But he um, he's, I think, most famous for appearing on Search for Tomorrow, uh, which is a soap opera that no longer exists that ran i think on cbs maybe from 1979 to 1982 he was also apparently in the prowler somewhere but i don't remember seeing him in that and he was also in a tv movie called grave secrets the legacy of hilltop drive which i know nathan's seen because <sighs> we talked about it oh i love um, that movie yeah my piece of background on doug stevenson though is that he's super hot i wrote that down here in my notes um <laughs> So Joseph Ellen Johnson said he auditioned for the role of Fast Times at Richmond High, and that part ended up going to Eric Stoltz. I think Justin might have better trivia on Joseph Ellen Johnson, so I'll just say now he lives in Florida and he directs plays. Um, Ice was promoted at the American Film Market. It was repped by a company called Radiance Films International. Uh, it wasn't screened there. They did show clips, but other movies represented by uh, Radiance at that same AFM was uh, something called Deadly Innocence with Amanda Weiss, Andrew Stevens, and Mary Crosby, which is like a domestic thriller that I've never seen. A movie called Deadlock with James Hong and another movie called Judgment in Berlin with Martin Sheen. And I'm only bringing that up because I wanted to show how diverse that uh, distribution. Well, they were a sales company, I think, Radiance, but it just shows their diversity and interest in types of films that they were trying to get um distributors for and i found conflicting release dates on when ice actually came out one source claims it was released through academy entertainment on december 14th 1988 another one had the street date listed as february 7th 1989 um selling for 79 dollars and 95 cents um if that's when it came out other february 1989 home video releases were the haunting of julia hollywood shuffle and redneck zombies so that's a pretty interesting month for film um, Radiance and Prism are listed as the studios and production companies, but I think this was independently produced and then they picked it up and or sold it. Um, ICE ran on local stations in the early 1990s. On November 22, 1992, it ran at 4.50 a.m. on a channel called uh, WFTY, which is now a CW. I think it's in the D.C. area. And it aired at 2 a.m. in L.A. on Channel 7 on June 2nd. Um, and I think it also had a November uh, 22nd uh, run date as well. Um, 
the special effects were done by a guy named Mike Clint, and this is his only uh, IMDb credit, and I'm not surprised. Uh, Deborah DeLisso, I just wanted to mention, I met her at a party uh, several years ago when I lived in L.A., and I hadn't seen Iced at that point. But um, I, I'm trying to remember exactly the conversation we had. She was really nice. And uh, I think I asked her if she let her kids watch Slumber Party Massacre, and I think she was like, um, no. And that was her response to me. <laughs> That's what I think she said. Um, and also, uh, I would be um, remiss of me to not mention that I've actually talked about this episode or this movie Iced with my other podcasting partner, Dan, on his podcast, which is called Dan's Drive-In Double Features. We talked about it with Moonstalker, which I think is a perfect double feature with this film. And that's all my background. Awesome. Awesome. Amanda, uh, have you, um, you mentioned, uh, judgment in Moscow and Martin Sheen. Have you seen that? No, it's judgment in Berlin. I think is the title. Yeah, and judgment. I have, oh, yeah, sorry. Um, or Nuremberg. Yeah, or something. Actually, I don't know, but no, I haven't. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually really good. I'd recommend that. Well, if it's Martin Sheen, like it's going to be at least good with, cause he's in it. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any background, Joseph? Uh, I did, but you both have read it. So uh, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Eric? I already done had hers. Is. <laughs> I don't know. It's a um, yeah, I only have a little bit to add to that. I found an interview with Jeff Quitney. Is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, the director. Uh, he had done an interview for dailygrindhouse.com, so I'm giving them credit for all this information. Um, he says that he uh, is... He, he refers to Iced as being god-awful, in inverted commas, but he has since embraced the film's cult following. Um, he he said they shot the film in 18 days in Utah, as he said, in the mountains in the winter of 1987. Um, it, it was $150,000 was the budget, and he said most of that, 90000 was eaten up by the lab costs. Uh, we got paid a little bit of money, but we weren't doing it for the money. We were doing it for the credit. I needed the credit, and the reason I got the job is because I'd gotten... Uh, Illegal Alien, which was his previous uh, a mm. previous short film, which was supposed to got uh, supposed to be quite good. Um, it's a spoof of Alien. It's a seventeen minute spoof of Alien. Um, he says that uh, during the scene uh, with the gun, where one of the good guys shoots at the bad guy, and we were using blanks, and for some reason, when he shot at Joe Johnson, a piece of the blank fired at him and hit him right below the left eye and broke open his skin. It just missed his eyeball by less than an inch. So Joe Johnson could have been blinded in that. Um, he also says that uh, that's about all I have that's not been mentioned already. But he did go on to make a really strange movie that I saw a couple of years ago called A Mock Train, also known as mm. Beyond the Door 3, uh, which is a really strange supernatural horror movie set on a train. And it was filmed all in Bulgaria. So it has that kind of Euro horror feel to it. And uh, I urge you to seek it out because it's kind of trippy and strange. Um he turned to animation in the 90s. He was working on things like Animaniacs and that. And uh, he left filmmaking then to become a teacher. Um, his final directorial offering, actually, according to IMDb, was a drama um, in 1993 that I haven't taken down the title of. Um, but it starred Linda Carter and Dee Wallace and Martin Cove. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's called Lightning in a Bottle. And it has Martin Cove in it as well. Um I think that's all I have. Oh, uh, did you mention Elizabeth Gorsi, who plays Diane? She had quite a number of big titles on her resume. She was in Footloose, Teen Wolf, and in the Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Patrick Swayze movie, Grandview, USA. So um, that they would have all been before she did Iced. So, 
it was it was a bit downhill, much like yeah. how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, say down the ski slopes or yes. whatever. Yep. Well, I say, as you imagine, uh, a lot of it's already been said. Um, I, uh, Joseph Allen Johnson, as uh, Amanda mentioned, uh, uh, does plays uh, now in Florida, and he wrote a play called See You Next Tuesday, um, which, uh, <laughs> which, as we all know, what that stands for. So I think it's kind of quite camp um, sort of adult farces. I, if I apologise to him if it's not, but that's why I think the... Um, uh, there was a kind of slightly kind of uh, felt like a little bit like a play. The some of the middle section of the movie when they're all sat around talking, it was kind of like a one room sort of thing. So, um, but it never feels particularly stagey. So, so uh, that was good. It'd be great to speak to Joseph Allen Johnson um, about this movie and also why I kind of imagine. Uh, you know, kind of embrace the kind of a campier element of this because certainly um, as I mentioned many of the, the cast um, had been in previous slasher movies obviously the Slumber Party Massacre uh, boasted uh, two cast members but also as you mentioned Joseph Allen Johnson was in Berserker um, he was also um, there was a, car- um, a cast member called Rodney Montague as Biff I'm not sure who Biff was does anyone remember Biff? <laughs> I don't remember Biff he no. sounds so posh Rodney he does <laughs> But it's, it's Biff, so he might have been. I don't know which one was Biff, but anyway, he was also in Berserker, um, and now he's a successful kind of visual effects guy on films like The New Hellboy and Inglorious Bastards and sort of many other films. Um, the only other little bit of trivia I've got is that Ron Kologi, who played Carl, um, uh, was also in the very little scene, and I haven't actually seen it, but it's one that kind of had a reputation as being a bit of a lost slash movie, which got a kind of release uh, not that long ago. It was uh, Cards of Death from 1986 uh so i've not seen that yet so that might be an interesting one has anyone actually seen cards of death no it was one of those kind of slash movies that was kind of a a, a bit um uh had a bit of a mythical uh sort of history to it in so much that no one had seen it and it got like a supposed release in japan and that's the only place i've seen it but i think it was slasher video i think it's slasher video put it out uh a while back um so that might be quite an interesting one to check. Uh, the only other thing to sort of mention with Elisa Loring, uh, again, why why she was in a film, when I say like this, I don't mean in a, in a bad way, but the fact is that all the nudity. And as I mentioned, that she was married to the guy who played Corey, who passed away, but she, she actually married in 1987. So the year this was made, this was made, it was shot in Utah in January 1987. Um, but later that year, uh, she married an adult film actor, um, Jerry Butler and apparently they met right. on so do you know Jerry Butler Amanda? Yeah I know Jerry Butler I love Jerry Butler he's hilarious he's um, he's he, he's like the average dude in porn like you get all these guys with like like uh, exaggerated anatomy but he's like the normal dude in porn well it's, he's like he's got great comic timing like he yeah, always plays like he, I think he recently passed away didn't he he did he did she's yeah. got many dead husbands in her wake that's what I'm gonna Whoa. say yes it sounds like but yeah. um yeah he he was he just had really good comedic timing so he you know he would be in like these adult movies that were funny they did one where they did a um like a like a stage play of Romeo and Juliet but it was like a porno like what was going on behind the scenes and he was like he had this like New York accent and he would like Juliet Juliet and he was really funny in it you know he's actually kind of a talented actor yeah he's in a movie called Hannibal Lictor <laughs> <laughs> just looking at it and honey honey i blew everybody 
There we go. I wonder if he's in Ooh My, Ooh My Wrinkled Starfish. Uh, no, not my name, Wrinkled Starfish. No, not my Eric, please. Starfish. We've already embarrassed the cast and crew of that film once Sorry. last time. But uh, yes, he was, um, Lisa Loring met him and she was actually doing on a film called Tracy's Big Trick. Um, and she's working as a makeup, makeup artist on the the porno feature, which is kind of an interesting career choice, perhaps, um, for her. Uh, apparently, they sort of, they they broke up, and she she was dissatisfied with him working in porn. Um, what's the other thing I was going to mention? Oh, that was one th- other thing when I was I was doing some research on her because there was I don't know if you remember there were rumours that Lisa Loring had done porn, hardcore porn. Um, floating around, uh, I think maybe when I looked at ICE last time, and that that wasn't true as far as I know. Um, but there are all those kind of websites that, like you know, sort of um, that had screen uh, grabs of nudity from actors and actresses. And I found a in a newspaper there was uh, not uh, basically you could write in and ask questions, and it was from nineteen uh, late eighties, I think. And somebody had written in and said, "I'm sure I saw Lisa Loring in a porn film." And the person was writing back and was saying, that's ridiculous. She's never been in porn films. She would never do porn, blah, blah, blah. So I'm presuming that people were getting it confused with this film or seeing clips of her in this movie, maybe in isolated clips, which led people to think that she'd actually done uh, adult films. But as far as I know, she she never did. So, But yeah, an interesting an interesting career for uh, someone who started off as a child actor. But uh, But yes, that's all the background I have on Iced. I think that leads us up to Eric's big moment. Uh, yeah. Not, hold on before you get into that. You also mentioned in your earlier review, Justin, about Lisa Loring, how um, she was kind of kind of amped up to make a, a kinda, sort of like a Quentin Tarantino comeback. And she said she would she would love to work with someone like Tarantino. But she said, I will not do schlock, like in quotations. And, and, and you pointed out that uh, she most certainly has done schlock. <laughs> yes, as well. Let's see. Let's see if um, Eric can top himself. But that's uh, another video we won't be seeing on my channel. Okay. Did you know that M Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense was originally going to be a remake of today's movie? It was originally going to be called I See Dead People. I I See Dead People. I see it in my <laughs> You know, that actually be- makes sense because because Eddie calls and there's no way for Eddie to make the phone call. Isn't there a movie dead. called I See Dead People? I see why. I think there is a movie called, or it's an alternate title to something, like Shredder or something. I don't know, but I've seen that before. Eric, well, I feel betrayed. I feel betrayed, Eric. You said this is going to be your best joke. And <laughs> I don't think you're going to be going to Edinburgh this uh, this year oh. or next. I am oh, going Eric. to Edinburgh, and you'll all be sorry when I'm <laughs> oh, Eric. on the stage of big stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, well, uh, thank you, Eric. Anyway, it's the taking part that counts. Um, so, after uh, the credits, after the credits, uh, here we go. Don't press stop. Well, 
I like to think with after the credits that um, I'm, I'm I'm leaning towards Eric's idea that this was more than likely a dream. Um, and I'm thinking that um, like he does end up coming back, though, and she dreams about it a lot. And then he does end up coming back and stalking them on the slopes once again. But in my version, they get away a second time because killing off survivors in your second film is not good. And I don't like it. So um, uh, what about you, Amanda? What do you picture happening after the credits of this movie? Well, I think him hiding in the snowman was real. And he kills Trina. And then Corey's a widow. Er, and he shows up at my house to fix my car or something. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm like, hi, Corey. And we have that exact same moment when uh, Jeanette sees Alex Bourne for the first time. Oh, and you can't talk. And I can't talk. And I invite him in and we start making out by the fireplace. <laughs> That's my after the credits. What do you think, is Justin? David, is David listening in on this? <laughs> no, he <doesn't. laughs> no, he, he's, he's not... He's very tolerant of my on-screen um, love affairs, though. <laughs> Have your nominated list of five celebrities. <laughs> yes. There's actually like 40, but... <laughs> well, for me, oh, I think I think there was a, a, a sort of a, a thing missed, really, that uh, uh, what I would have liked to have seen, and I think what would happen was the, the killer would j- jump out of the, the snowman and then hack to death Corey and the child. Sorry, child and Corey. Um, but go chasing Trina, and Trina would run off. And because she's, you know, like this kind of lion woman, uh, you know, she'd been training, just like Jamie Lee Curtis in the recent Halloween, for him to come back. So what she does, she straps on some skis and starts slaloming away to get away from the killer. Uh, and the, the killer also puts on some skis and grabs an axe uh, in one hand and a chainsaw in the other. And they're, they're doing this, which I thought would be a really good chase scene down the slalom. Um, and then they go off a ski jump and then midair he's hacking at her with the axe and the chainsaw shouting, see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Well, I would see that. (laughs) Eric. Well, I think what happens is that uh, the killer jumps out from inside the snowman and kills (laughs) Corey and Trina and the child. Then enters this sexy, handsome Irishman um, with a beard and he writes this brilliant joke about the sixth sense <laughs> and it gets him a gig at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival he wins the Perrier Award and becomes super famous and super rich and everyone wants to have sex with him that, that, that's a dream sequence what? that's not a dream sequence that's, the- <laughs> that's your joke of the week <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, he scorched your ass Eric um, Joseph, that type of abuse from that junkie. How <laughs> dare <laughs> you? Now, what did I tell you the other day, Eric? I said if you were here right now, I would have no problem throwing a glass of cheap Chardonnay on you. <laughs> now, the Justin would probably get upset at me wasting alcohol. Well, exactly. Yeah. You throw it at me, and open my mouth. He'd lick it off of Eric. <laughs> mm. Well, let's see. Much let's see what Daniela has to say about it. No, fuck yourself. There we go. Daniela has a foul mouth. She does. She fierce foul. <laughs> <laughs> so Eric, what do you think happened? That's what I said. You just said it. <laughs> yeah, oh, you just, did. <laughs> Sorry. Put down the bong and walk away. You just insulted. I'm not smoking <laughs> right now. 
You were before the show. But I'm I'm Wes says that I'm kind of ditzy. Where's he get that from? What? Where's he get that from? Wes is correct. (laughs) Well, I feel that, you know, it makes me maybe more endearing and and makes up for it. Yes. That's why we all love you, Nathan. Has anybody not gone yet? Joseph, did you go? Yeah, Joseph hasn't gone yet. I would think the the dude who turns out to be the killer, that's his name, um, I think he would do a crossover. (laughs) He would do a crossover with the Jack Frost movies, and then Jack Frost would hide inside of him. Oh. That's really good. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I would see that. Like, I would pay hardcore money to see that in 3D. I would be be their opening night. Oh. Well, you made it, so hopefully. <laughs> it's a good idea for a movie. Right. Well, um, yes. Um, Joseph, do you have uh, some feedback from the forums and from Facebook? Yes, I have quite a bit here, so hold on to your hats. Uh, over on the forums, Mr. Palmer says, I love Iced. Too bad there was never a sequel. Uh, Psycho Guy 77 I can't remember his username, sorry. He says, um, here are some things that I thought about and and happened during my watch of ice. Number one, guys that like to ski have beautiful feathered hair. Number two, the midnight slow-mo ski-off made me feel like Billy from Silent Night, Deadly Night was going to pop out and decapitate one of those guys. Number three, rockadiles. Number four, instead of sex, just arm wrestle your lady. Number five, hot steamy sex with Trina, a.k.a. rockadile girl. Got me all hot and bothered. Must not fab. Number six. Trina oh, my God. A, yeah. Uh, number six. Trina getting a quick arm pump is so sexy. Must not fab. Number seven. <laughs> number seven. Suicide by landing stomach first on fake looking boulders might not be the best way to off yourself. Number eight. I feel like most of the budget was spent on dry ice and cocaine. <laughs> number Number nine. If a movie called I Was a Teenage Martian Lesbo is real, then damn it, I want to see it. Number 10, excellent Trina line. I didn't have any tits hardly, and my tits were soggy from the rain. That's not all that's soggy, Trina, matron. Number 11, loving the steamy and sleazy Skinamax sex scenes. Number 12, Carl equals the world's smallest ponytail. Number 13, Trina running around in her undies equals time to fap. Number 14, icicles are great murder weapons. And finally, number 15, hiding inside of a snowman five years later to kill the remaining survivors is genius, and so is this movie. I loved it. Bring on parts two through 20. On Facebook, Ewan Kant says, Love it. Best slasher movie ending of all time, period. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Ewan? Yeah, yeah Ewan. Uh, John Matthews says, found the Australian VHS many years ago. We Aussies got the cover art of the Frozen Woman. It's been a good 10 years since my last viewing, but I recall there was some weird, mild rape scenes thrown into the mix. Uh, you, the viewer, are not aware if it, if it was a dream or really happened. It's just disturbing content for what would be a fun slasher. Doesn't fit with the rest of the film. I think we talked about this. The way it's edited, it, it may appear... Um, that there's kind of this rape vibe, but I don't really think there is. It's just kind of it's kind of weird. But um, anyway, he goes on to say, 
I could be totally mistaken. My, uh, I may need to revisit the film. Uh, Bill from Code Red has said on numerous occasions um, that he didn't want to touch the film, and I would agree there because, uh, for one, he would never put it out, but two, he would have to edit it on videotape. So, um, anyway, Ralph Jaw says it leaves me cold. Ha ha! That, that's a good joke of the week. Mine. Except I don't think I don't think he likes it though. Uh, that's kind of weird. Uh, anyway, Derek Bourgeau says, uh, "I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. It's so much stupid fun." Uh, Ted Rawson says it's great, but I prefer the title Blizzard of Blood. Tim S. Turner says a bit slow moving for my taste, but it's worth it for the snowman gag alone. I mean, how could how cold must he have been? Charles Mandum says needs a Blu-ray release yesterday. Uh, Ricky Morgan from Short Bus Cinema says ridiculously fun. A Short Bus Cinema classic. Uh, Darren Burroughs says above average later 80s slasher. It's been a while, but I remember liking it, liking it a lot. I don't think it's even got a DVD release, uh, which is astounding when you see what has come out. Uh, Jenny Hall Cameron says, I know the ending belongs in the cavalcade of cornball, but I actually like this one. Yes. I wish there were more wintry horror films. Uh, Matthew Caldwell says needs a Blu-ray release so bad. I love this movie. Justin Fiocha says, Ice is one of my favorite late 80s slashers. There's some really unique deaths, and the filmmakers clearly knew more about making soap operas than they did horror films. The ending is surely one of the most ridiculous finales to any horror movie. What a shame Ice has never even seen a legitimate home video release outside of the old Prism VHS. This title would make a perfect release for a company like Vinegar Syndrome. Um... I'm not going to say anything else there. That may may or not be happening. Uh, Donna Ibarra says it rocks. Um, on Instagram, uh, Nicolamist, uh, Nic- Nicolamist, I guess that's your name. A really dumb but really fun slasher. Love the snowy setting between this and Blood Frenzy. Lisa Loring had a heck of an eccentric comeback. Uh, Jay the Cough says, oh, snap, this is rad. Uh Eugene Weaver 9 says, love it. It's everything about direct-to-video 80s slashers that I adore, including one of the better gotcha endings of this type of film. Really wish a company like Vinegar Syndrome or even Scorpion would do a full-on remaster, but from what I've heard, it would have to be completely re-edited on film, as currently it's tape master only. The VHS rip on YouTube is fairly atrocious, unfortunately. Uh, Paul Freetag 5439 says, hugely entertaining. And best watch in a group. Let's see. On Twitter, Gore Blimey says, Iced Iced isn't the scariest slasher film, and it's not the best crafted, but it's loads of fun. There's the easy-to-guess mystery killer, the girl who steals every scene by doing leg stretches and weights in the background, the final girl running around in the snow in her knickers, and, of course, the hilarious final shock at the end. I love this film. It didn't scare me. It didn't shock me, apart from Wednesday Adams caressing her bare boobs in a jacuzzi, but it did entertain me and made me laugh a lot. Wait, um, he got all that on Twitter? Yeah, apparently. Uh, actually, no, he did it in two posts, and I just oh, edited okay. it. <laughs> okay. um, Matt Mentor says, I became intimately familiar with this film's subtle absurdities after listening to Daniel Budnick's minute-by-minute podcast review. It would be fun to get him on board for this episode, and we got half of that on board this episode. Because um, you oh, do a yeah, show that with was him. something different. So uh, he's oh. obsessed with ice. So we did a double. 
with Moonstalker, and then he does a thing called whatever he said it was. I'm, I'm sorry, Dan, I can't remember the title. And he does one every episode is one minute of the film. So oh, interesting. Yeah, so he broke down Ice minute by minute. Oh, and that's cool. like 90 episodes or however long the, you know, the movie is. Wow. So, wow. Um, yeah, so uh, that might be worth listening to as well. Cool. Uh, Daniel Budnick actually goes on to reply. He says, thank you, Matt. I won't argue. I adore Iced. I'd do a couple of lines of Coke with Carl any day of the week. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. We all could use more winter slashers. Um, thank you, Dan. Uh, Trist- Tristan Lofting says uh, – He's saying to Dan and you, Amanda, um, he's saying that you both turned him on to Iced. It's a total Skinamax slasher down to the way it was photographed and the post-production. I tend to not like late 80s slasher movies, but this is really entertaining and very fun. Lisa Loring was the standout acting-wise for me. Uh, Daniel Budnick again. Um, No, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I think this Uh, is a trail of conversation. No, I'm sorry. It's Mike Vaughn. Um, He says, I kind of need to see this now, LOL. The Bitter Bastard Nerdcast says, best use of a snowman ever. Sean Wilson says, pending audio commentary. We'll see. And Doom, the Doomed Movie-Thon finally says, it's hilarious. I'm a fan. And that is all the feedback we had for The Magnificent Iced. Fantastic. Well, thank you for everyone who's written in. And uh, we always love hearing from you. So uh, keep them coming, as it were. So, uh, and this is how to get in contact with the show. Thank you for listening to The Hysteria Continues. Be sure to search for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you enjoy our show, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber. That's patreon.com forward slash The Hysteria Continues. You can email us at thehysteriacontinues at gmail.com. Yeah, and we've got lots of uh, things coming up for Patreon. Uh, we've got uh, top three and the first of our non-horror-related podcasts coming up in January. So uh, stay tuned. Um, I think. Mm. Can I go ahead and mention the uh, the YouTube channel? Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, please subscribe to that. We're really doing some interesting things there. We're, we're not just a podcast anymore. We're doing a lot of video content. Um, we've got some great ideas coming up. Um, Nathan and I may even be doing a video show in the not too distant future. Um, so there's gonna be a lot of great stuff on there. So please subscribe, please ring the bell to get notifications and, uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, there's going to be lots coming up there, including Eric's uh, follow-up to um, his previous film, which is No, Not My Wrinkle Starfish 2. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing uh-huh. you in that, Eric. It's not wrinkled. Is it not? No, well, there's only one way to find out. Tune into YouTube um, for Valentine's Day. We're going to post Eric's uh, anal paprika appearances as well. Yeah, it's all coming up for your viewing pleasure. sexual relations with that spice. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, we've got that coming up. Um, we've got our Patreon exclusives coming up. So, uh, and thank you. A big shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you very much. And um, uh, Amanda, is there anything you wanted to tell us about your you're up to at the moment? Yeah, I don't know when this is going out, but if uh, anybody hears this before February 7th um, and you are in L.A., come see me at the Miskatonic Institute of Horror Studies. I'm giving my TV movie lecture there. Um and it should be fun. A lot of people are coming, um, and we're going to hopefully be able to hang out afterwards. So if you're around, come say hi. And I think that's it. I think you can just listen to my podcast, the made for TV mayhem show. If you want, this will um, be out before then, Amanda. So people will hear it. So, okay, yeah, good. Go, so go, go yeah. see Amanda. She's great. I've met her a few times. She's thank you. 
yeah, it'll be fun. I'm gonna. I'm really looking forward to this one because I know a lot of people in LA, so it'll be a big party. Um, and um, just follow me on Twitter, I guess, if you're interested in my stuff. I mostly just talk about TV movies. I'm I'm super into Melrose Place right now, so if you want to hear all about Melrose Place, um, I'm just at Made for TV Mayhem, and um, everything else I'm doing is kind of like not been announced yet. So I'll just leave it at that. Okay, and if you haven't heard, or uh, myself and Amanda did a commentary for Scream oh, for Help uh, that came out a few months ago. So uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, so if you haven't picked up that release, then uh, do so because uh, yeah, hear what we had to say about Michael Winner's masterpiece. It was great, except for the part that Justin edited out where he asked me to marry him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I had to. I, I had to. I guess Stuart talked you out of it, and I'm really upset about it. <laughs> yeah, but um, I've still, I've still got it, and the restraining order, Amanda. <laughs> I'm still sending those pictures because I'm 300 feet away. Oh, that's, I don't think, mm, that's um, true. I can't really think of if there's anything else, but um, Justin, I, I believe it's your pick next time, isn't it? Is it? Yes. Oh, yeah. crikey! Um, I oh, that's put me in a spot. Oh, how's uh, it feel? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, why don't we do... Uh, I know this is copying um, your double bill, but it's reminding me of a film, Amanda, that we haven't uh, uh, we haven't talked about, uh, is Moonstalker. Ooh, it's ooh. a film that I reviewed ooh. on Hysteria Lives a few years ago, and I remember it being quite a lot of fun. So <gasps> while we're on the late 80s vibe, but let's, uh, let's, uh, and the wintry vibe as well, I seem to remember, uh, let's right. get a little taste of Moonstalker. Yay! Sounds great. It's going to be a good episode. Okay. Excellent. Right. Well, thank you once again to the wonderful Amanda. Uh, and remember the uh, the terms of the restraining order. But apart from that, <laughs> I still love you. Um, can I just, um, yeah. can, sorry, I, I, I keep interrupting, but I just want to say um, thanks to everyone for the past eight years. Maybe we'll be on the air for another eight years. Who knows? Uh, I really enjoyed doing the show for eight years. And I, I, I loved everybody. Oh well, thank you. And um, yeah, no, can I d- somebody get a soundbite of Justin saying "I love you" to me? <laughs> well, and I can, can be make it my together. I can make it my ringtone. Oh well, I'll tell you what. I you know I just share the love. I really love you, uh, Nathan and Joseph, very much. So thank you for doing the podcast with me. <laughs> Ooh, now I'm making that my ringtone. Actually, and Eric, Eric of Eric, course. I, love, I love Eric. And I love we Eric. all love Eric. Everybody Jones. loves Eric. He's yeah. the best. And we all love Amanda. Yes. Yes. I love you guys. It's a big love in. So, Amanda, why don't we just get Amanda back for Moonstalker? I think we, I think we should. If you, if you have the time, you probably might, you might not have the time actually. Yeah, it depends on when you do it. But I'd love to. Well, let's see if we can schedule it. But um, I think. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll end. We're all going to get into a hot tub and swirl around and bash our nipples against each other. So oh that's my a, God, I've been dreaming about this, Justin. <laughs> so that's a mental <laughs> image for you to take away from the show. Um, uh, so uh, <laughs> you shouldn't have said that. No, we, I'm gonna be like Eddie Murphy in Trading Places. When I was a kid, we wanted bubbles, and we had to fart the tub. <laughs> oh, Mind no, you, I think no. it'd be more like the uh, hot tub scene in uh, Mad Men, Madman, wouldn't it? Rather than this one, because you need a big hot tub to get us all in it. I've got are the you belt buckle. Show, are you, are you, that's what I was gonna say. Are you gonna show Amanda your belt buckle? <laughs> that's one way of uh, mentioning it. But anyway, it's so. so big. Yeah. <laughs> 
right okay well i think we better leave you fine for, for, uh, listeners because uh, we've gone <laughs> over the two hour mark it's another epic um but what better way to celebrate eight years of hysteria continued so thank you one and all uh if you're a new listener or on or been with us from the bitter beginning uh and don't go back and listen to episode one because it does sound like we said it before oh. it sounds like it's uh, recorded with two tin cans well, those first 20 episodes are pretty rough. Yeah, but... Uh, Actually, but. I feel like the first two are probably the most rough. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so what are we playing out with, Nathan? We are playing out with Vanilla Ice and Ice Ice, baby. Okay. and listen. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening to uh, Hysteria Continues, our episode on Ice, and we'll be back with some more lunacy uh, with Moonwalker. Do you see what I did there? Moonwalker, eh? Moon, I mean, Moonstalker. Yeah. Oh, I ruined my own joke. <laughs> Mind you, they, there does need to be a, a kind of a slasher with a Michael Jackson killer, doesn't there? Mm. And he could, moon, could moonwalk after people, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, all right. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time on the Hysteria Continues. So say goodbye to the good people. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Ice to see you. Yo, VIP. Let's kick it. Hello. Oh, hello, Nathan. You're sounding very sultry this morning. Oh, sexy, Nathan. Sexy, Nathan. I'm trying my sultry voice for ice. And Nathan feels out of it at this time of the morning, too, but that's because he inhales something in particular. Oh, don't do that at five in the morning, dude. Yeah, Nathan. Yeah, Nathan. Why are you going to jump on me? I'm having coffee the way normal American people enjoy their mornings. The conservative Trumpsters. We all have our coffee, and we want to leave it to Beaver, and we go to church. Bye, guys. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. (laughs) 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 See you at work. My DJ was long.